Buttons and bows and pantyhose, I'm your host, Alexander Rodriguez, here with On the Rocks, where celebrities and cocktails mix tonight. Being fabulous is our business, and we have 16-time Bram Stoker Award winner and author of over 45 books, Joe Lansdale, is here visiting. I'm so excited. I, I, I force-read all your stuff this week because I had to catch up. My eyes are tired. Uh, <laughs> we also have author, country singer-songwriter, and, of course, Joe's daughter, Casey Lansdale, part of our On the Rocks family, is here. And we have actor-musician Riley Smith. You've seen him in True Blood, Nashville, 90210. Upcoming Proven Innocent on Fox, and of course, Drew Detective Frequency, so many things. And he's here to chat about his music and his new show on Fox. We're going to find out all about it. And my special co host, author and actor, Fernando Rivera, author of The After Living, here with a giveaway, by the way, uh, before he gets deported. Wah, wah. So raise a glass and let the games begin. <laughs> And most poor suckers are starving to death. I'd like to propose a toast. This is On the Rocks with Alexander, coming at you from Sunset Gower Studios in the heart of Hollywood, where I drink with your favorite celebrities, and we talk about fashion, entertainment, pop culture, reality TV, and, and that's about it. So pop a court, pour a glass, lean back, and enjoy On the Rocks every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Universal Broadcasting Network. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Oh, Lord, it's going to be a bumpy night. And, you know, we're celebrating Pride Month, and this is, like, the straightest episode I've had in so long. <laughs> <laughs> and we're only getting straighter from here. Like, the next three episodes is all straight people. Yay, straight people! <laughs> it's Pride Month for you every month. Okay, uh, what do we learn from the cow, the buffalo, and the elephant? No, it's not a riddle. It's actual truth. You can eat all the green, healthy food you want. You could walk around all day getting your cardio, and you're still not going to be skinny. So why bother? <laughs> These are huge animals. Why aren't they skinny? But they don't live in L.A. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> I'm like so obese in L.A. Like I have a glass of water and people look at me like, do you really need that water? <laughs> yes, I do. It's a mix-up. <laughs> uh, thank you to our sober listeners for tuning in. We love you. Thank you for holding our hair back and driving us home. If drunk texting was a sport, I would be an Olympian. We are doing a live read today. We are, this show is presented by San Diego County Fair. Kurt, go ahead. Take it away. Let's try this out. Oh, cute music. I have a script here, see? <laughs> Doing great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting prepped up. Crushing it. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by San Diego County Fair. Celebrate Pride Month at the fair. Enjoy unique food, rides, entertainment, exhibit shopping, and fun for the entire family, and fried Oreos, which I know firsthand. Visit SanDiegoFair.com. Oh, I almost got it. <laughs> All right, so we're brought to you by San Diego County Fair. And we had fun. Casey, did we not have fun at San Diego County Fair? It was Fair? the best. Absolute great time. I was the MC at Casey. Knocked it out of the park. It was like a whole hour you you performed, right? It's true. You yeah. brought everybody together. Every type of person was dancing. Even one-legged people were dancing. That's how much <laughs> fun everybody was having. I had a great time. You do such a great job, by the way. Thank you. All right, we need to do a little joint. Boop, 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 boop. Concert. <laughs> uh, hello to our listeners around the nation on iHeartRadio, Universal Broadcasting Network, Player FM, Stitcher, TuneIn, Satchel, iTunes, Google Play, and of course we are on Facebook Live right now on Hillcrest Social in San Diego, True FM in Ohio, and nationally on Bear World Magazine. Rawr. Check out my weekly <laughs> <laughs> celebrity interviews, movie reviews, movie news in Bear World Magazine. This week I talk about Cats the Musical is coming. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Now, I'm a gay man. I enjoy a uh, movie musical as much as the next person, <laughs> but Cats, that is one musical I would be like, I cannot go. Early casting, Anne Hathaway and Rihanna. Why? 
Seriously? Really? It's it's like it's like Hollywood. It's Pride Month. Like, give us a break. <laughs> I, I I I can't. And Stan Lee has more drama. Uh, he's been through it this year, and now he filed a restraining order against his one and only business manager that he's had for years and years and years. Stan, what's going on? Call us. Oh, oh I had lunch with him, or I didn't have lunch with him. I had lunch literally. Me and Stan, uh, yeah, like, we were hanging. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it was in Beverly Hills, and his table was literally here, and it was like one of his development meetings because there was a bunch of ties and all that, and they paid, so you know they were. T- and I kept trying over here. I wasn't even listening to the person I was having lunch with. I must look like such a stalker. Uh, anyway, also more Star Wars spinoffs. Boba Fett is coming. Everyone is getting a spinoff, and I just, I, I, I just can't. Where's your spinoff? I right. Yes. Even Too Wicked. many damn spinoffs. Yeah, they're yeah. ruining the franchise. It's like <laughs> calm down. It's like we're on the air once a week. That's pretty much all people can handle me. Like too much of a good thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of too much of a good thing, uh, tomorrow press release gets released nationwide. Uh, my new TV talk show, Glitter Bomb, which is a national TV talk show, uh, it got greenlit, and so tomorrow the announcement's coming on. Hey, We're making good. LGBT history as the first ever Latin LGBT national programming. Woo! So I will be in it. Thank you very much. We're starting off in 13 million homes. Woo woo! I'm be in your homes. <laughs> Better like, when do I come on? Well, A-list. <laughs> A-list adjacent. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to have all types of people. As you know, just like this radio show, it's LGBT and beyond. It's all things entertainment. We are going to become The View. So I'm very excited. Uh, we're releasing the trailer tomorrow, and we start filming August. We're going to be uh, premiering September 20th. Oh, God, I'm scared. Uh, I got to get the man spanks out. And I have to learn Spanish, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a Twinkie. I'm white on the inside and brown on the outside. Like, that's about it. (laughs) And Fernando, you you speak Spanish, right? I do speak Spanish, yes. Yeah, in fact, I saw your part in uh, NCIS where you play, like, you have an accent. You have an accent, like, everywhere. Yeah, well, because, I mean, because clearly, you know, it's like if you're Latino, you have to have an accent on TV. Because if not, then they're not going to know that you're Latino when you're this light complected. Very true. And with that hair, I don't know what to do with with that hair. I I call it a Mexican Jufra. <laughs> because it's like it, it works depending on what angle I'm at it works to serve me as a Mexican or as well, potentially a Jewish person well and I've seen some of your early childhood pics you look like the Spanish version of, of Chucky from Child's Play <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you how do you say I, Child's Play in Spanish uh, I guess Juegos del Niño I, I, Ga- games that child's play? Whatever, I can't even order a Del Taco. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Numero uno. uno. Yes. Well, and you're in the uh, McDonald's commercials for like the Dreamers. That. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, actually, it's funny because that's it's the like, unofficial title. I've done I've done uh, four McDonald's nationals in the past, and they've all been bilingual, and I've all been speaking Spanish in all of them. Do you get free chicken nuggets? That's, that's all I want. I, I do not get free chicken nuggets. I do not. I do uh, get bragging rights. I did try to take a photo when I was traveling abroad. I was in. Uh, it was it was in Berlin. I was trying to get a photo at a McDonald's, and they would not allow me to. They thought that I was like some kind of a spy from or like something. Wendy's. No, I even, <laughs> I even showed them like the commercial on on the YouTube on you know my phone on the YouTube on, on the on the YouTube the interweb. It has these yeah. videos. But um, but yeah, but they were like, no, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. Fernando, was, was it like, was, oh. was it a nugget commercial? No, I've actually never done nuggets. Uh, um, commercially, I've never done chicken nuggets. Oh, because you've dated well, plenty of nuggets. Then. I've seen them. Because, I mean, if my, you talk my, about My very nuggets. first job ever to get my SAG card was a Wendy's. Oh, are you kidding? Really? Nugget commercial. Yeah, oh, their nuggets are questionable, though, I have to say. But yeah. I mean, you might I be would eat them if you yourself, sold them, but they're not 99 they're, anymore. D- Dan Thomas they're was not. still alive. Dave oh, Thomas. Dave Thomas, yeah. So I'm really dating myself. Well, you know how old I was? Took him. Carl Karcher from Carl's used to go to our church and hand out free hamburger coupons at the end. That's how old I am. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Back yeah. like before you got digital coupons? <laughs> 
How dare you? I'll tell you how old I am. That's when they had those. You had to make your own damn hamburger. You had to hunt your own hamburger. Hunter gatherer. Wow, you guys are old. Just kidding. Girl, please. Girl, please. We're all we all have aged pretty well here around this room. I have to say. Of course, we're not playing high schoolers still, like like some people in the room. No, I'm not anymore. You've aged a little bit, but barely. It's like a dog years. It's like for every like like Riley's aged one year, and it's like you've only just aged to CW high school. Yeah, like that. That's where you're at right now. Where everyone's so, 27 playing yeah, 17. You're, you're pushing. You're pushing. Yeah. It's like the 30th anniversary of 90210, and it's like for Riley, later that day. <laughs> I did the original and the new class. <laughs> Lisa Renner's like, feed me your blood. Uh, for our audio listeners, you can check out the video stream on Facebook, YouTube, and of course the Hillcrest Social app. Download the Hillcrest Social app for free. My mom, Mama Rose, is in the chat room on UBNRadio.com and Facebook. Ask her your questions. Uh, she'll answer it. She's done her own research. Uh, Wait, that was your mom out there. Wonderful, yeah. sweet woman, by the way. Together. She's great. Wait a minute. She has her moments. She's moment. a yeah. Yeah. yeah, she really is. Uh, but she's in the chat room. She's going to answer all your questions. If it's a burning question, she will interrupt the show and let us know. Please keep her busy. She has vodka next to her. And then she starts drunk tweeting, and I don't need my show canceled, too. <laughs> Uh, Kurt, hello to our engineer, Kurt. Hello. Are, are you, <laughs> hello. This, wow. This, this is the excitement I get from Kurt. He's excited to be here. Yes. Hello. Uh, thanks for dressing up. Uh, Kurt, Anytime. Do, do you have a pun for us? He's I always so have, funny. I always have a pun. Oh, God, if you must. <laughs> How does a uh, banana get out of jail? Uh, 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 it forces appeal. Something with appeal. He, he wins on appeal. Oh, I got oh. one. That's so. No, you don't get yourself laughter. No, nope. <laughs> I get crickets and he gets laughter. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt, for that so much. We, we have some writers here. You might want to bring out the good jokes. <laughs> uh, like us on Twitter and Instagram at On The Rocks On Air. Facebook, On The Rocks Radio Show. show. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Our uh, videos are now going on YouTube. Find us on the web, ontherocksradioshow.com. Send me an email. Book me for a wedding, funeral, quinceanera, bris. I don't care. I will show up. Uh, info at ontherocksradioshow.com. I actually just officiated a wedding. It was quite nice. I took the bulk of the ceremony. Though. I was like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> it was like, uh, we're getting married. I'm like, yeah. I've known you for two minutes, and I can believe that. Story. No. Yeah. Yeah. Let me yeah. tell you about me. Yeah, let me tell you something. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, coming up on the show, we have the reschedule of Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero from The Room <gasps> slash Disaster Artist. They are coming in. Uh, the first round, uh, we have to pre-record that. That's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, oh, we are doing that there'll be in next month uh, oh hi Mark oh hi Mark soap opera hi, hunk Mark. Sean Kerrigan is coming in real housewife of Orange County Gretchen Rossi is coming in next week we have Martin Cove from Karate Kid and Rambo who's now in Cobra Kai he's coming in I'm very excited mm. uh, Kurt Yeager from Sons of Anarchy and NCIS LA the host of Mortified Podcast Victoria Price the author and daughter of horror Hollywood actor Vincent Price is returning to the show and we have American Idol finalist David Hernandez is on the way so many great and it's like all over the place. Like you never know who you're going to get on the show. Uh, let me introduce my bestie for the night, Fernando. Fernando Hale from Texas. Oh. There's a lot of Texans in the room. Yeah. There's nobody originally from here except for me. One, two, yeah. three. Three yes. Texans. Three Texans. I was born oh, in. I'm cons- a half Texan. That's right. It counts. It counts. Uh, Fernando graduated magna cum laude from the Mays Business Honors Program with a BBA in marketing and certifications in retail and international business. I know. Right? Bragger. Bragger. Yeah, I mean, 
mean, you know, <laughs> can we smart. just say graduated? <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, no, no. Somebody's got it was it. highlighted twice. <laughs> Until I can say that I have been on Nashville and I have won the Bram Stoker's Dracula <laughs> writing award, I'm going to yeah. say I graduated medical law. Okay. 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 So yeah. I couldn't even mention the words that, like I said, retail, international business, certifications. I don't know what's happening. Uh, but the entertainment bug bit him while he interned on the Days of Our Lives production office at NBC Studios. He had to move. Two months after arriving in Hollywood, he hit the scene with guest roles on hit shows like All My Children, Days of Our Lives, Secret Life of the American Teenager, Southland, New Girl, Workaholics as a Stripper. It's on YouTube, by the way. NCIS, <laughs> NCIS LA, Suburgatory, Episodes, The Big Bang Theory, Hot in Cleveland, Legend, Scorpion, Jane the Virgin, The Great Indoors, Speechless, and the web series Strange Love, directed by our good friend Jorge Chalopa. Yep. Uh, he can also be seen, and I had to watch the scene over and over again because it made me giggle, uh, playing the shape-shifting uh. version of Miles Teller <laughs> as Mr. Fantastic in the 2015 Fantastic Four reboot from 20th Century Fox. Yes, he's played a superhero. And you did the whole thing in the car where you had like morph in. I almost passed out doing that, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> they told me to hold my breath. The, the, the graphic was for me to hold my breath and when it would like yeah. kind of spread out. And the first time I was so nervous, and so I was like, oh my God, I have to do this right. And so I did it, and I almost passed out because I was literally holding my breath and pressing it so hard that I got really uh, You were busy. playing, wait, 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 was it Mr. Fantastic? So there's this there's this effect in the movie where uh, Miles Teller playing Mr. Fantastic is able to shapeshift his face because he can ah, stretch and rubber. And so he like morphs into somebody who right. speaks Spanish. With at, an accent, by the way. an Argentinian yes. you know, junk uh, shop and then goes away and he morphs back to himself and so that's yeah, kind of I wrote funny. a Fantastic Four comic once I, that's as close as I've got to oh. that yeah. uh, that's pretty close that's he just had to hold his breath yeah. and almost died <laughs> yeah. like I mean, you you created yeah. canon <laughs> okay uh, not to downplay your wonderful performance yeah. I in mean, that wonderful reboot I played a superhero did you yes. watch the reboot after it was out of course I did no comment <clears throat> keep going I'm very honest <laughs> with my friends if I don't like something I'll say no comment uh, he has also done extensive commercial work, as we mentioned, started numerous national commercials, uh, K-Swiss, Cox Cable, GoDaddy, the first Spanish GoDaddy commercial. Is it called Va Padre? Va Papi. No, I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I dated somebody called that. Uh, Honda, Dr. Pepper, and McDonald's. Of course, we mentioned four McDonald's to date. Uh, but the need to expand his entertainment portfolio has led Fernando to focus on writing. In June 2017, in fact, we're celebrating the one-year anniversary, yes. Fernando published his debut novel. This is his debut novel. It's like 432 He's chapters. been waiting his whole life yes. to put it there. <laughs> a lot of frustration put into these pages. It's like Wikipedia ah. from A to Z in paper form. We're going to go back to that, by the way. I think, oh, I have a paper form of Wikipedia. Want to see it? Uh, but uh, it's called The After Living, book one of his Blood and Silver series, a supernatural journey of faith, family, murder, set in a world, you guys, where Jesus Christ was the first vampire. Hmm. We're going to yes. talk about that. Full show. I couldn't stop reading it, by the way, because it's very easy read, and I love this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, my God, History Channel, like, Mafia is going to come shoot me just for reading that. Um, he's currently working on the second installment to be released next year. His ultimate goal is to see his ideas jump from page to film, and he success successfully accomplishes Where Monster Hides, which is his uh, <laughs> directorial <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, Diction. too much vodka already. Diction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, big Black Bear. Uh, anyway, uh, it's a short film. Has or already earned the title already. What is wrong? I'm so nervous because we have writers here, and I'm like, my words. <laughs> oh God! Uh, official selection in the Austin Spotlight Film Festival, Hollywood Verge Film Awards, 13horror.com, Hollywood Horror Fest, the Canadian Diversity Film Festival, and London's Discover Film Awards, where it won the best horror short. Um, and it's the first of four projects with your production company, right? This year, yeah. Well, uh, very exciting. Thank you for your first directorial debut. Yes, I had a lot of help, but it was definitely uh, exciting, right? Please welcome Fernando Rivera. Hi. Awesome. So I love that Where Monsters Hide, it's, you play an adult, but the monsters from your childhood, childhood. Come, come out to get you. 
Yeah, essentially, it's uh, um, it was inspired by uh, the movie The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Um, there's a scene where um, actress played by Billy Gibson is in the shower, where the, the lady is in the shower essentially, and she comes up and she gets Jack Nicholson. Um, and I was so terrified by that scene, and my brother, being the wonderful big brother, Shelley Duvall was, was terrified by that scene too. <laughs> yeah, my brother, Yikes. being the big brother that he was, would scare me all the time and say, "Someone's waiting for you in the shower. Someone's waiting for you in the shower." Um, and so, you know, I wrote a book as a kid that is called What's Behind the Shower Curtain, which was my essentially my therapy to like get through that moment. I saw a movie like that once. It was not related. <laughs> <laughs> Always go there. Always. Um, and so, you know, 15 years later, I'm lying in bed thinking, oh, whatever happened to that book? And so I thought, oh, what if it was extended to not just behind the shower curtain? But what if there was a, a book that a child wrote that, you know, essentially is like a uh, like a map around the house of where a monster could be hiding. Okay. And so then that evolved to the short, which is essentially a young man who receives a book from his mom that he made when he was a child that is a guidebook to where to find a monster in the house. And the pictures he drew as a child match the apartment he lives in now. So he's like going on a hunt in his own apartment I looking love for that. a monster that uh, potentially could be there. And so at the very end, um, the monster ends up finding him. So that's where Monster Hides. But, oh. um, yeah, I like but it. Eight, it was eight pages. Uh, we filmed it in 12 hours in my apartment and a lot of post and editing and great sound work. And it has definitely it's been done really, it. really well. Yeah. Yeah. It's been showing really well at festivals. Uh, mm. I would love to attend a festival that it actually gets into, but they've all been far away and they're like the next week happening. So, um, like the Canadian one is happening on the 29th. Oh, uh, let's go. I love go? Canada. Of course I love Canada. Maybe Toronto. Syrup? <laughs> is Toronto even better? Yeah. Because I think their last call was like at 4 a.m. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I'll be in awesome. my bed. Um, you asleep. are such a funny lady, by the way. I'm like 10 p.m. I'm like, where are you? Let's go out. You're like, I'm asleep. I'm asleep. It's like, <laughs> I'm watching. I'm watching. So we should be best friends then. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Casey will throw it down so. until 9 p.m. In fact, I think there's some like vampire, like reverse vampire stuff going yeah. on there. But literally you cannot drag Casey. Yeah, for a musician, she has a writer's personality. She likes to start at well. seven, be done by nine, <laughs> in bed by nine thirty. That's beautiful. <laughs> Don't judge my life, okay? And they're like encore, encore. She's like, eh, what's on TV? <laughs> yeah. No, I got my stories at home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now you guys coming from horror stories? Do people ever try to scare you? Or well, you know, I, I've written horror, but I've written all kinds of things and crime, things, everything. Yeah, yeah, the TV shows, movies, and stuff like that, but. Um, no, people don't try to scare me. I, I don't think that would be a good idea. I wouldn't like that. <laughs> I wouldn't want to scare, try to scare Joe Lansdale and have it not work. Yeah, that, that would not like, be good. No, not impressed. No, <laughs> I, you know, the best if you might read something that actually gives you a chill or something. But, uh, you know, most of my work's actually been crime or, uh, I don't know, fantasy or just offbeat or what yeah. have you, you know. And the stuff that's been filmed is, besides Bubba Hotep, has all been crime. You know, it's, yeah. It's but. funny when people say, you know, he's a horror writer. I think of him as a crime writer because, but I think that what he wrote that was horror in that era was so horrific and different exactly that it right. impacted the people in that time more yeah. than he's a horror writer. That's just my take on it. Well, I mean, it's just that, that when people say you're a horror writer, it it's not wrong, but it's wrong if they're saying that's what you that, that's all you do. You may have right. written horror stories or crime stories, and you know, I, I have Western stories. I've done all kinds of things, so I'm a writer. You know, so one one kind you might say, hey, he wrote this horror story or this crime story, 
but writer would be more accurate. It's like an, an actor that's in a horror film, and they've done all kinds right. of stuff, but they're not just a horror actor. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. People yeah. like to put you in a box. They yes. do. Right. Yeah. It's the only way they want to market you. They yeah. put you in a box, and it's a way to talk about you. Hey, but you know what? At least you're put in a box. Hey, if at least know, if you're somebody no good, you get a box. box. Somebody a paycheck cares. is still coming. Yes. Yeah. Somebody cares. You know. Yeah. But but it, I'd it, like a box. Yeah. But for some yeah. people, for some I'm people, like though, it, it can brand a person. I've had. Uh, actors that are friends of mine, you know, that were, uh, you know, they maybe did one very popular film that say was a horror film, and then there they are. They're stuck. There's nothing wrong with doing horror films. I love all of this stuff, but uh, you wouldn't want to be stuck in it. It's like, uh, you, did you a True Blood? Did I you did. mention? Oh, it, she, you know, I know Charlene Harris. She's a friend of mm -hmm, mine, mm -hmm. but she also writes crime novels and things mm -hmm, like that. Yeah. But what people know her from? True Blood. Because that's yep. the big thing. So well, now yeah. she's a horror. You're writer. talking to a guy who's done 78 projects, and people still every day come up to me about yep. a, a Disney movie I did 18 <laughs> years ago. Which one was it? It was called Motocross. Motor. <laughs> oh, well, you've done nothing else. And he didn't else even write a motorbike, yeah, by the way. Else. In <laughs> fact, in fact, almost every every other day, someone will say, "Are you still acting?" <laughs> no. <laughs> people see you know me and they say, "Are Constantly. you still writing?" Constantly. Constantly. Yeah, that, that drives me crazy. Uh, They'll not go, me. "Are you still writing?" Well, I have to eat. You yes, know what I said? Here's what I say. If I if I had not been successful, it, I'd be bitter. But if you're doing all right, it's like it's yeah. funny. I fuck with them. Uh, can yeah. I say fuck on the air? Yes, you can. Okay. I get charged ten dollars, but I have a budget for it, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you know he when we cost get you twenty dollars yes. in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, no. So I mess with them. I'm no, I don't act anymore. I'm actually homeless right yeah. now. And, uh, you know, just yeah. Whatever. Well, that's oh, yeah, that's yeah. not even a joke. Have you seen the homeless people here in L.A.? Like, I'm not making a homeless joke. <laughs> They're but models. Everybody's so hot. They all have abs. Yeah. I have a cell phone. Wilhelmina's new scouting material is just walking down Hollywood Boulevard. That's awful. Well, you know, the people are. No come up to you if you're a writer and they'll say uh well um do you write under your own name yes well i haven't heard of you i said what do you do oh i'm an accountant i said uh, <laughs> well, i haven't heard of you what, what's the name of your uh, your uh, office oh so, no i've never heard of you yeah <laughs> you, do you file taxes yeah. under another name right. where do you get your ideas <laughs> oh i buy them <laughs> <laughs> do you ever get a like you're a writer oh yeah well what coffee shop do you work at yeah yeah, yeah never, i don't get job? that because yeah. i'm, I'm from texas so they don't say oh, that that's right well, that's i used right. to say i was a writer and they would go bulls yeah no no not writer writer you well, Riley used to ride horses, by the way. Youngest president for the American the, Junior Quarter Horse Association. At the age of 17, <laughs> wow, by the way. Really? Awesome. I haven't heard that one in a while. No, that's crazy. Yes, well, there's back. a lot of fan fiction about you riding a we horse. We take it back. You haven't done anything since that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. Uh, but that's funny because, Joe, I got three emails asking Has Joe ever uh, written under. Uh, a different name. Yeah, I actually have. And I'm like, well, that's your only question. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's not. It, it, people that collect, they love that stuff. Oh, okay. That, uh, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I actually have. So there, I have. I didn't tell you what they were, uh -huh. but yes, I have. Oh. Yeah. It was a long time ago. What yeah. are they? Well, I wrote under three or four different names, I think. Okay. Yeah, if I remember right, three at least. Yeah. Why, why, I, I, did, why did you change your name, though? Well, I, I didn't change my name. I just wrote under a different name. But why, what was the purpose? Well, what it was is that uh, I had. I can tell you this one. I, there was a thing called a series called the MIA Hunter. And a friend of mine had invented it, and he couldn't keep up with them, and so he hired a number of us to write them because they were all under Jack Buchanan. Uh, and so I needed a car, and so I wrote three of them in 20 days apiece, back to back. And uh, one of the funny things, as I always say, and it kind of makes my friend a little uh, edgy about it, but they, he had these things where I just say said. I don't say growls and grunts and you know, he re re remarked and, yeah. re you know, and all that. So he ejaculated all that crap. Yeah. Um, that's always a messy one. I've always hated yeah. that one. But, but anyway, he would say, well, remember the good guys growl and the bad guys grunt. I said, what? He said, yeah, the grunt's a bathroom noise. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, the I got the third one, I just typed up a whole several, several pages of grunts and growls and said, "Stick them where you want them." That was my last. You wrote them, right? Yeah, they're the only ones that are. They're the only ones that are collectible, by the way. So hey. Oh, that's interesting. That's behind the scenes. Um, I want to talk a little bit about behind the scenes, Fernando. We're celebrating the year one of your book, and I have to say, when I tell people the premise, when people ask me because you've been on the show before, yeah. Jesus Christ being the first vampire. Number yes. one, that is so sacrilegious. No, it's not. You come from a very like, Christian family. That he's a that vampire. He's a... <laughs> eat my blood and drink my, or eat my, uh, uh, be eat very my careful. Flesh, flesh, eat my flesh and drink, drink my blood and you will have eternal life. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Like, I literally just took it literally. Well, that's cannibalism. I don't know if that's vampirism. Eternal life. He didn't say he didn't say finish eating me. He said just eat a little bit and then you'll go on forever. You well, know you can get cracker and grape juice and it's a lot more appetizing. Well, see, <laughs> Catholic vampires, we at least got Baptist real vampires. wine where we went. I would go back for seconds. I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not holy yet. I, like, I need some more. It's like it's like a death becomes where you're just like, oh wow, yeah. oh my god. I was actually altar boy for 13 years. That wine has no alcohol content whatsoever. Believe me. Um, well, but I, I actually joke. You do it in a very. Um, uh, graceful, graceful, respectful yeah. way. By the way, it's yes. not like Jesus is a vampire and he's running around like biting people. It's actually like about family legacy, tradition, and actual Bible quotes. Where did you come up with that idea? Well, there's the uh, fun PC version, and then there's like the personal version. Um, How about the thirty second or less version? Thirty second or less version. <laughs> uh, thirty second or less of e- each one. So personally, I had been taking actor workshops forever for mm. um, since you know when they were legit, more legit uh, in the industry. And there was a specific vampire TV show that I really wanted to be on. And I took six workshops with the casting directors, performed well. I never got an audition. And at one point, I was like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to make my own thing, and mm-hmm. you guys aren't invited. And so I started writing feature, and the feature just got carried away. Um, and I turned you know scene one into chapter one, and that's kind of how the book came out. It was out of frustration. Um, and professionally, or rather uh, personally, it was more, you know, I, I, I'm a devout Catholic. I was raised Catholic, and I don't quite agree with everything, but that's my culture, and that's what I love. And I also really love vampire fiction. And I was always torn why in vampire fiction movies they were always thinking like, oh, is, you know, like I can't become a vampire because then what if my boyfriend doesn't do it? Or what if my girlfriend doesn't do it? Thank God. And in my head, I was like. Leave him behind. Yeah. In my head, I was like, no, if I become a vampire, like, am I going to hell? Like, is that going to happen? And so that kind of spurred the idea. Well, what if they were not mutually exclusive? What if they were actually the same thing? Um, You know the idea of God and vampires. So that's kind of where I just thought, oh, well, what if Jesus was a vampire? And that's what we're all supposed to be. Um, That's why they're so secretive, because they're like the true, you know, carriers of the word. And so that's kind of where that uh, snowballed out of. And the rest of it- start with like a poem or something? Like this is, look how big this book is. This is your uh, first venture. I started with like a really cheesy paragraph. um, And then it kind of went up from there. But, um, it was I, a really fun read, by the way. I, I have. Thank I have you. To yeah, you. and so you know, I incorporate um, vampires. I incorporate werewolves. I incorporate witches. Werewolves who dress well, by the way. Yes. I'm waiting for my character in the second installment. I mean, they're a little German right now, but they could change. <laughs> you know, how we're talking um, about accents. I can do the best Irish accent, but I would never get called in to play an Irishman in any TV show. I mean, no, you wouldn't. No, no voiceover. Oh yeah. Yeah. Riley, I'm too beautiful to just do voiceovers. <laughs> Come on. Pays well. Um, and but, you could wear pajamas. Yeah. Although I've worn and pajamas do, down here do before. Just apartment, yeah. um, but no, yeah, so I, I incorporate vampires, werewolves, and wishes, but they, they're not classically what you think of. They all represent different religious mm-hmm. sects around the time when Christ was, uh, when Christianity yes. was coming into power. So it's kind of like there's a religious and historical reason why they're at odds with each other and why they have beef, but why they still work well and live in the same ecosystem. 
Um, and so I wanted to, for there to be a reason for everything supernatural that is in modern day folklore. And that all went back. Luckily, there's so much religion and mythology out there that you can find literally a connection to anything. Um, it's almost like someone wrote their own religion. And so that's kind of where, oh, like if you believe in something enough and if you're you know, clear with your facts enough, a lot of people will believe it. Um, well, and we're, we're going to talk about the role of religion and faith, especially Joe, in in, in your book, and also with. Uh, I'm an atheist, so. Yeah. Well, Are no, you? Yes, yes, but oh, it's, you it's have explained. To read it. <laughs> now, this is uh, well for, from both stories. It's explained very well, and I, I love the ideas that you play with in terms of religion and faith. Um, I was raised in a certain religion, and I love it, but there's the reality out there, too, and I, I think it's it's so interesting when you incorporate that much of yourself into well, your work, because then it's out there, and people can comment whatever they want. And I want to make a comment uh, to you about uh, being an atheist. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest inspirations of the book was that I dated so many atheists in Los Angeles, and it was so hard explaining, like, oh, I'm Catholic, this is what I believe, and it was just like, you know, no matter what you tell me, yeah, but faith, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, you heard the spiel. Now um, I have. <laughs> and, and it was just like, but what attracts me, you know, you know, socially uh, to atheists is that they're so well read and very smart. And there's always so many more things to you know, talk about in literature because there's a lot of research atheists, done. atheists that I, you know, I, I don't really go around saying, oh, I'm an atheist. But just because we're on this subject, I did. I would say I'm a non-believer. But yep. but the uh, the thing is, is that a lot of the atheists, the reason they're atheists is because they are well read. Yeah. And they've read all of these different books and religions and different things and often know more about the religions than the people who claim to. I see people now, you know, I, I see like for we have this this stupid crap going on at the border where they're separating children and stuff. And they're using religion as a basis for it. And and partly if you take a lot of that stuff literally out of the Old Testament, you can get anything you want. You like can get said, anything you want from the Old yeah, Testament. And, and, the, new, it, and yep. the New Testament is what the Christians are actually supposed to use. But if you want to say something mean, you always go to the Old testament mm -hmm. and i have people they say you know well you know there are miracles every day and i go okay how many people you know that had a leg cut off or an eye pulled out and grew it back once that happens then i'll get on board with your miracles the rest of it's just luck you know or somebody said oh, i had a car wreck and he lived and that was not likely he doesn't have a leg he can't walk and can't see out of the other eye but what a miracle well that's kind of a shitty miracle isn't it <laughs> you know if you're going to do a miracle let's go the whole hog you know if that's what a miracle means it doesn't mean a half-assed survival and, and you know and medicine and recovery time it means uh you get well instantly you know you know jesus in the books he didn't say okay you're blind, go home, take an aspirin, two or three weeks, come back, get some glasses, and then gradually we'll see what we can do. Or become vegan. Yeah. <laughs> two it's, questions. Yes. So it's are, you, are you an atheist uh, as the daughter, or do you, did you become an atheist? I never really, I, yes, I am an atheist. Okay. But it's not something, because I'm more in the country music community, so right. it's not something that, like, yeah, I, yeah, I broadcast. Until, until now. Wouldn't, yeah, sell a lot of, that. wouldn't sell a lot of records. So, I, Her first tip, when I'm I was an atheist. Raised, yeah, I know. When I was raised, it was kind of like, I went to church because it was the first place I could sing in front of an audience. Uh -huh. So I went, and then after a while, I just started going, you know what? This yeah, we didn't preach right. atheism did at home. Yeah, yeah. Second question was, <laughs> do you even lift, bro? <laughs> oh my god, somebody put that on his Instagram your, your today. Arms, I'm like your, your I'm like so shriveled right now. I'm coming off huge. of like a stomach flu. So Your arms are huge, dude. What no. are you it's it is what are you taking it's on his ego and his arms shakes? i do i do some protein shakes yeah i'll do yeah. a little, little lifting yeah. oh, Bradley, just anything about my muscles salsa. Salsa. i can't see him oh. over that salsa. they're there right yeah. now they're going right yeah. into intravenous they're completely, yeah. completely okay. hidden see how i took it well, away from religion what's just, your religious what's your religious i believe, oh, I believe in god but yeah. i don't want to go there today we yeah, yeah. 
no, no, no. Stay away from it, that. No, that's a long discussion. Yeah, yeah. That's we why when people say you've heard this, I go, yeah, I have. I've got to go pick up my my dog in an hour. So we <laughs> Does your dog religious? What's up? <laughs> yes. yeah. I have to talk the dog to him. goes, hey, I heard you on the radio. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to get there. Let's give a shout out to our sponsors. Thank you to Test Loop. Test Loop is the only way to travel in luxury uh, from Los Angeles to Orange County to San Diego to Palm Springs to Vegas. Cheaper than an Uber. You literally sit in luxury. Go to testloop.com. Tell them on the rock sent you. Um, all right. Let's kick things up a notch as I introduce our guest for the evening, Joe Lansdale, Yay. author of 45 novels and 400 shorter works, including stories, essays, reviews, introductions, and magazine I'm art old. girls. How many novels? <laughs> yes. 40, 45. It's more, actually more than that. But. I think it's more than that. Uh, his work has been made into films. Of course, Bubba Hotep, one of my favorite films. Bruce Campbell is so good. I love Bruce. Cold in July, and great music in Cold in July, by the way. Uh, as well as the acclaimed TV show Happen Leonard. Uh, he has also has had works adapted to Masters of Horror and Showtime and uh, written scripts for Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series. Uh, he scripted a special Jonah Hex animated short, as well as the animated Batman film Son of Batman. He has received numerous recognitions for his work, among them the Edgar for his crime novel The Bottoms, uh, the Spur for his historical Western Paradise Sky, as well as multiple Bram Stokers uh, for his horror work, and has also received the Grand Master Award and the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Horror Writers Association. He's been recognized for his contributions to comics and is a member of the Texas Institute of Literature, the Texas Literary Hall of Fame, and is writer in residence uh, at Stephen F. Austin State University. Also, just as a side hobby, uh, he's in the International Martial Arts Hall of Fame, as well as the U.S. Martial Arts Hall of Fame, and is the founder of the Shen Chuan Martial Arts System. And there's YouTube videos of Joe Lansdale in martial arts, by the way. Uh, he is, uh, his books and stories appear in 25 languages. Clearly an underachiever. Please welcome <laughs> Joe Lansdale. Thank you. Thank you. Also joining uh, Casey, my friend and part of the On the Rocks family, was first published at the tender age of eight by Random House. Is the author of several short stories and novellas, including stories from HarperCollins and Titan Books. You can hear Lansdale as the narrator of various works, including Stanley's Reflections, uh, George R. R. Martin's Aces Abroad, and George A. Romero's latest installment, Knights of the Living Dead. Uh, she's best known as singer-songwriter who's open for artists like Ray Price and Winona Judd. She was nominated for Best New Female Artist of the Year at Texas Regional Radio Music Awards and is founder and host of the East Texas Songwriter workshop. Her last EP, Leave Her Wild, has been featured on Sundance Channel's most popular program that we love, Happen Leonard. Uh, <laughs> sees all three seasons available for uh, for viewing, uh, as well as on the Animal Planet, where she performed her new single, Living in the Moment, live on the popular network show, Finding Bigfoot. You guys, she's literally <laughs> out in the woods with the infrared camera singing, and it's so wonderful. Uh, Casey has teamed with her dad uh, for their first ever short story collaboration, Terror is Our Business, Dana Roberts' Casebook of Horrors. Uh, the collection showcases is a dynamic duo with supernatural sleuthing Dana Roberts and her sidekick uh, Jaina. Jaina. We're going to say Jaina. Uh, Tara's Our Business gathers together all of Dana and Jaina's previous cases in a single volume and features the all-new adventure that I literally finished reading this afternoon, The Case of the Ragman's uh, Anguish, written exclusively for this collection. It is such a joy, and it's so funny to see your personalities from the interviews that I've uh, researched for this for this interview, seeing the voices interact with the stories collide. It's so exciting. Please welcome <laughs> Casey Lansdale. <laughs> Woo! Wait, Alex, can we skip all that with me? Can we just can we can we keep this thing moving okay. forward? All right, he um, just got a call from say, his dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just say motocross and we'll move on. No, <laughs> I'm this, good with that. Okay, yeah. can we talk about uh, proven innocent coming up on Fox? Sure, we can. We can do that. All right, and your music, by the way, which is amazing. Go to the uh, Riley Smith official RileySmith.com. Uh, Riley Smith official. R Riley Smith. <laughs> now you're making me nervous, so I can't mention Nashville or 90210 uh, or True Blood. 
or life sentence. You can, I mean, whatever you want. I was just trying to. <laughs> I just move did. This thing <laughs> All right, motor please, please welcome <laughs> Riley Smith. <laughs> Woo. So we have a lot of entertainment people that listen to the show, and they've all come here. Being an L.A. native is almost like being a superhero. Like, mm -hmm. it's just very hard to come by. And so I want to ask, all of you kind of have your heart in, 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 in a different home, but obviously so much of your career is here in the entertainment business, which is L.A. and the surrounding areas. What's it like having this life, you know, hometown life with traditional values and all that, and then you come to a crazy place like L.A. where doing business can sometimes be so rough. How do you play with that duality of where your heart and where your work is? I think for me, I've been coming out here since I can remember because my dad was coming out here for business. So the transition to move and kind of be in different places. I lived in Nashville for a while. I lived in Massachusetts for a while. It just sort of seemed normal and I didn't really think like, oh, I'm I'm doing this thing that's so strange and so different because it just kind of felt like that's what you do if you have a career that's in the arts and, and you know, you go to L.A. or you go to New York and I don't know, it just, I didn't really put that much thought into it when I did. I was like, this seems like a good idea, but I do miss certain elements of that hometown feeling and the people I grew up with I of course miss my family but suddenly there's a lot of business meetings happening in LA <laughs> I, I moved here and dad's like I guess I'll go to that one in person you know <laughs> so I, I can't shake him too much yeah but, you know it's for me it was a it was a great transition but there are some things the the small courtesies the the slower pace that I do miss, but I, you know. And real Mexican food, Tex-Mex. Tex-Mex, yes. yeah. Thank you so much. But work is here, and, you know, this is this is a nice transition for now. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a funny thing, too, is like for me, I I grew up very poor and, uh, you know, lived in East Texas all my life. But the kids, when they were growing up, my son and, and daughter Casey, they were used to having directors at the house and art people and all that. So for them, it wasn't as a big a deal you know i'm still going wow they did that movie that you know i'm still the guy that's a uh, big eyed but, but they grew up with all of it uh, for me I, I had a manager when i first moved here who, who always told me that the one thing that you want to do is not lose who you are that's what made you special to get here um and a lot of people when they move to la they try to become something that they're not they try to fit yeah. into la and he said the quickest way to separate yourself from everyone else is to stay who you are. So I just, uh, I still have ropes in my backyard. I'm, I'm roping things all the time yeah. and still listen to country music. Throw a hula hand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. A, little, a little Montana movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so is that a I, drink? <laughs> <laughs> so I just try not to change. It was, uh, it was the hardest thing to do in L.A. is not change. Yeah. Well, and for you, especially growing, I mean, we've literally seen you grow up in so many different shows, like from the Disney projects to, to the WD, uh, WB, which WD? became <laughs> WD-40. Wow. That was a good commercial. Everything all loose and greasy. To the CW, some of the stars that come through those shows get so wrapped up in their one role or that one show, and then they get involved in the Hollywood party scene, yeah. and then their career's <laughs> over, and we never hear from them again. But yeah. you really lasted through that. And you haven't, uh, how did you avoid that whole Hollywood bubble for being young just in the industry? The opposite of everything you just said. Yeah. I, I didn't have just one role, uh, unfortunately and unfortunately. There were so many roles I almost got that would have lasted eight years. Um, if you name some of the, the CW shows that have been on in the past or Fox shows. I almost got those, didn't get them. But so I was kind of a journeyman who always had a lot of different roles. So I didn't get typecast. I didn't think of myself as one person. I didn't buy into myself as this one character. Um, and so, yeah, all the opposites of what you just said. I just, you know, 
those things, the, the setbacks allowed me to honestly succeed. Yeah, you nailed it, son. I mean, that's it's even as writing, you know, you have friends that suddenly they have some big success and their, their approach to writing changes. And I always felt like I was the guy from East Texas. You know, I, I don't necessarily share a lot of the politics and uh, religious views, but I was always That's the one of guy our fan that, questions. By yeah, the way, was. I was always one of the guys that I felt like, you know, you know, you're a writer. I'm a guy that goes in and I write. That's what I do. I never felt like there was any celebrities to it at all you know to me that's what I do because it's what I always wanted to do I wanted to do this as a child so for me I'm one of the rare people I started martial arts when I was 11 you know I've been doing it 55 years I still teach private lessons and stuff but those are the things that I wanted to do so I feel like the luckiest son of a bitch that ever squatted to shit over a pair of shoes <laughs> I, I have, can I quote you on that you, you may <laughs> because for me this is exactly what I wanted and I got it and not many people can say that so I feel very fortunate I really very fortunate didn't your grandma see the Buffalo yeah uh, Buffalo Bill she was born That's in crazy. that yeah she was born in the 1880s and as a child she saw Buffalo Bill's Wild West show in one of its incarnations I don't remember if it was still Buffalo Bill or with the 101 or what but she did that but the interesting thing is she came to Texas in a covered wagon and saw people go to the moon and uh, yeah, and, and but what's weird is that when just my age, you know, I'm 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 up there, but in, in <laughs> we my, don't say age on this no, show. But, but in my time, I've seen all this technology change, and I'm I'm living in Philip K. Dick's world, which I used to read about, you know. And uh, you've got your uh, you know, just the cell phones are still amazing to me. I'm still kind of worked up over the microwave, you know, <laughs> things like that. I used to read about in science fiction where you cook the food instantly and stuff. And so if you even were born in the 19 50s you know uh, and you've lived this long it's amazing how much has changed because from the 1930s through about the mid 1960s in east texas it was pretty much the same it was a gradual change i remember when the schools were not integrated yeah you know so all of those things uh you've seen are incredible changes over uh a lifetime. You know? It's funny because I have family in El Paso, and when we have to go back for a family funeral, whatever, it's like taking a step back in time. They're like stuck in the seventies, mm -hmm. and in thoughts, and even some of the technology. That no some people offense to El Paso out there. Well, <laughs> not my favorite place to go, but anyway. But it, there's just it's so funny that I we see. in LA we're just so used to the high pace, and this is the difference that I'm talking about. And then there's people living in a whole different cultures out there and yeah. of course we're gonna have differences uh, I, I love to come here for a week or two and boy am i ready to go home when it's over and that doesn't mean i don't like it it just means i this i can't i can't live here if this it's guy just not me. if he wasn't a writer he'd have a great tv or radio voice oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> he'd be a great yeah. Yeah. Uh, podcast and host i gotta have that same reaction when i go back to south texas because i go back and i'm just like why is everybody moving so slow why is nobody yes. in yeah. a hurry to get somewhere and that but that also helps calm you down and it's like okay like not everything is life or death you yeah know, see i haven't transitioned that. i'm here i'm like what why is everybody in a hurry why are you honking at me the light just turned green <laughs> yeah. where are yeah. we going yeah i knew i crossed into <laughs> california from the drive from texas when you know 80 year old grandmas were speeding past me and i was going 60. i'm like oh shit, you can go 80 on this <laughs> that's what happened to me. <laughs> I want to talk about collaboration. That's a big theme for, for tonight. Riley, you've of course started with about every star, old and young, in all of your different projects, uh, from Ed Harris, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., Wesley Snipes, Mary Louise Parker, Carrie Preston, to the Olsen twins. <laughs> what have you learned with having to collaborate? And of course, we're going to talk about you guys collaborating on, on this book. What, what have you learned the most over the years having to collaborate with such different types of actors? Um, well, I, I'm... I mean, it comes with who you are as a person, if you can get along with people instantaneously or not. Some people can, some people can't. 
And I think that in our business, it's very imperative that you have to be able to adapt and fit in and not, you know, you know, uh, yeah. So you have to fit in and adapt. And so, I mean, for me, that was always it. Like you said, old, older actors, younger actors, to be able to find a common denominator and, uh, and, you know, find that medium where you guys get along and, and understand each other and, and make it work. Um, it, it, with acting, you just ha you don't have to be friends. You just have to make it work on camera. But but at the same time, it helps if you can really find some sort of common denominator in real life. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I get along with people, so I think that helps. I think it has to do with like like with with your background. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, my friends all my friends all call me Water. That's the my nickname, and it's just because I just I'm, I'm water with everyone. Like, but I, you've worked on so many shows because clearly you m m must be very simple to work with. Yeah, you know? well, that's the thing I think. Want I, you back. Studios must if, love. If to somebody come asked me what the biggest key to, to uh, sustaining a long career would be for me, uh, I would say it's the simple things. And you would attest to this: show up on time, do your job, right. Be easy to work with. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Know your and business. Yeah, just know you do your... Yeah, well, I will say, I can say this now. $10 to you. That's fine. Do your fucking job. That's yeah. it. Just mm -hmm. show up and do your fucking job. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people make things out here especially so difficult. They want to ask too many questions. They want to think about themselves and how this pertains to them and that. Just fucking do your job. Just show up. Hit your mark. Be cool. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that what we're doing isn't rocket science. And... So people that want to rehire you, they just want to hire somebody that's cool and easy to work with and gets along with everyone and shows up on time. They know that they're reliable. And, and believe it or not, like that's one of the biggest keys, in my opinion, to, to give to young actors is, or anybody in the entertainment business is just be reliable and do your job and be easy to work with. And that will get you so much further. I think like, I mean, most of the jobs I've done are rehires from either the studio, the network, or producers or writers. And I think I would attribute it to me not trying to be a certain way, just being a nice, cool, easy guy, you know? That's such an old-fashioned Hollywood way of thinking, though. Up-and-coming stars, even what I see come through the studio, they just don't have that mentality. Well, they're they, told that they're the biggest, brightest star and, in the whole world. And they all think that they need to complicate things. Yes. Like, they think in order to stand out, they need to, I need to have notes, and I need to pr uh, pose questions, and I need to have my own identity, and, and they complicate things. They're playing the part of an actor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. people yeah, yeah. don't I, I, want it complicated. I had an actor tell me once, he said, when, when the director talks to me and he gives me advice, the thing I want to hear him say is just tell me what my character wants. Yeah. What does my character the want? Intention. Well, you're want, you're wanting to date this girl. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. That's that's what he told me. That's <laughs> like, the way he thought about it. What's my character want? I want to get across town. I got it. I'm ready. Yeah, it's, it's true. Like I want you to stand there and turn when she talks to you. Yeah. Like, all directing is blocking. It's like you usually well, you've done what you've done in the audition room, and they yeah. know you can do it. That, that approach is not you. only uh, uh, professional and it's quick. We know on sets, especially when when you're guest starring on on an episode, they just want you in and out. They want to uh, go on to the next scene. Um, yeah, they really don't care about what you're doing. They really don't. And <laughs> guest stars, the biggest mistake guest stars can make is trying to make it about themselves. And you'll see the director or the producers are like, huh? Yeah, no, 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 yeah, no just yeah, do, do your thing. You know, they don't care. Just show up and do your job. Don't make it about you. Make it about, in fact, the best thing an actor can do is make it about the other person. Yeah. Because the minute you listen and you put it on someone else is the minute you do your best work anyway. So if you just simplify it, make it easy for everyone, including yourself, 
that's the quickest way to success. Yeah. Plus, when an actor overthinks, they take the fun out of being on set and being an actor and playing a, a character. And I'm sure you guys feel that when you have to write something. Now, when you first started, you wrote like 90 stories in 90 days, or you took yep. like three months and you literally yep. wrote a and story. And they were all awful, day. too. Yeah. What, what, what happened is that I was working in the rose fields and I was. Uh, you know, like doing whatever job was necessary in the rose fields, and the weather got really mm. bad. It got terrible. In fact, I found a dead body. You know, no. oh my time. god, yeah. really? Yeah, cool. my, me and my boss. But but what happened is <laughs> that get, uh, no, wait, I said let's get his yeah, box yeah, and go home. <laughs> but uh, I've actually written about it. But but what happened was is that I, I had about three months of. Uh, where they figured the weather would be bad. It certainly was bad at that time. And my wife said, well, I've got a job right now, and I know you, I'd already sold some articles. I'd been selling articles. She said, I know you want to write fiction, so why don't you try and do that? And she says, I'm gonna, I've got this job at this meat packing place, and bless her heart, she, they had to wear like a, uh, one of these cold suits, like they were going to the Arctic, and they would go inside and put lunch meat and pack it. So every day she said, you, and I want you to do this, but, but if I come home... I better see some pages. And I was doing it on a manual typewriter, you know, and putting the carbon in, the whole thing. Yeah. So I wrote a story every day because I didn't know you couldn't do that. <laughs> so I wrote one every day. And they were all pretty awful. But I wrote about 90 of them. For three months, I wrote one a day, roughly 90 stories. And then I started marketing them. Well, back then, they had a lot more magazines, a lot more places oh, you yeah. could take things. Stephen King started off yeah, writing yeah, with short yeah, stories in yeah. Playboy magazine. Well, I, yeah, and I did some for that, too. Kind of, not Playboy, but magazines yeah, like that. Yeah. But anyway, I... Um, I started marketing those stories, and for over four years, as many places as I was able to send them, I got almost, a, well, I did get literally a thousand rejections. And later, we did a book that was just done as a limited, and we stuck a reject reject in every one oh of them. Oh, my those. God, how yeah. awesome. Yeah, that cool? And, uh, you know, I, I didn't run out of them. I had plenty <laughs> left over. Uh, but, but that was the way I got all the crap out of my system. You know, it was like crap through a goose. I got all that out, all of the things that I was stealing and copying. And uh, I was I remember I would send stories, and they go, why don't you write about someplace real? like New York or Los Angeles. I thought, I'm, I'm sitting right here. This is real. And so I just kept writing about East Texas because it's what I knew. Mm -hmm. And gradually, it began to sell. And then when it did, then that was kind of that trademark. It doesn't mean I don't sometimes write about other things, but that's mostly. But it was those 90 days that made the big difference for me. I learned... Uh, how to, how to write. I love what you said about like just clearing the gutters because sometimes yeah. when I'm writing, it's like I go back and I delete the entire, you know, three, four pages that I wrote earlier that day. But it's like it had right. to get done. It had to get out of your system, yeah. get it done so the good stuff can Well, see, I don't, I don't plot and I don't plan. I don't do any of that stuff. I tried that early on and it sucked for me because then then I started thinking, overthinking things and I would start trying to figure out the story and then I would I would lose interest in the story because in my mind, it was already done. So what I would do is I just oh, get up every morning. I only write about three hours a day because I get diminishing returns. I start yep. high and go down low. And so I, I write about three hours a day, sometimes less. But I have a three to five page minimum that I try to meet and usually do. And many days I'll get 10 or 15 pages because I'm, you know, I'm smoking. You're it's in, going. in the groove. Right. Yeah. But for me, I want to be surprised. I don't want to plot. I go to bed. I get up and I'm in the, in the moment because I, I had to learn to do that, too. So that I didn't think about this stuff all the time, and it just took up all my thoughts. I had life to live. I had a family. I had other things going on. So what I wanted to do was to be able to put that in compartmentalize it. And I'm sure that my subconscious is probably uh, plotting all that stuff. And so I would get up in the morning. It would do my stint. I would leave feeling like I had a little bit more in the tank. The next morning, I'd get up and do that, and I'd look up. And I, eventually, I had a novel. 
And you probably wanted to wake up every day and do it. Like, I mean, it was probably in you. Oh, like, I couldn't you woke wait. up and you were ready to do when it. When my feet hit the floor, I was I was hot, yep. man. I yep. got my cup of coffee and I'm I'm ready to go. Yep. Yeah. Lisa Wallace says hello, Riley, by the way. Who's that? Lisa Wallace. Hello, Lisa Wallace. Hey, by the way, before we go any further, yeah, who's yeah, yeah. this sponsored by on the rocks today? <laughs> well, uh, it's sponsored by yours truly. Mulholland okay. Distilling is our sponsor, but uh, I have to go pick up the case. So th- <laughs> this is a guest vodka, but yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll pass that pass around. It around. Yeah, yeah. Fill it up. <laughs> now, 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 you guys as singer-songwriters, do you ever write a song that you know is never going to go anywhere? You just you just want to sit and do it knowing that it's not going to have... Every day I do. Yeah? Yeah. I always hope that it goes somewhere, but sometimes you write it and you go, oh, I just wanted to get that out because that's fun, or sometimes you... You know, you don't always have to have a goal. You just want to, I right. don't want to say, you know, like necessarily clear out the gutter, but maybe you just have that idea or maybe you, I don't know. Yeah, I think you, you never want to say like, oh, this won't go anywhere because you never know what's going to connect with somebody. Maybe the thing that you think is not the song, somebody hears and they go, oh man, that really spoke to me. So I don't really want to put it in that way. But a lot of times, is it going to be the next one that I release as a single? No. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I just write. I don't think about what it's for or where it's going to go at the moment. I just write until until it becomes what it is. And sometimes it's something and sometimes it's just for me. Yeah, that's the way, that's the way I'm with stories. Yeah. I never say, was this better than the last one? I don't think like that. I just think, is this the one I want to do? And then you hope that, you know, it comes out well. And nothing else, you know, you, you kind of get to a point where there's a level that you don't fall below. I imagine that's the same in performances. Even if you have a moment when you say, well, I didn't hit that highest peak, but I have learned through experience that there's a level that I do not fall below. You right, know? right. So every, every confidence. So every time you pick the low side up a little bit yes, more. Yes, absolutely. So you suck a little bit less. A little bit <laughs> less. Every day yeah. you every, suck a little, little bit less. And that's, yeah. better, that's better than sucking more. Yeah, so. and then some days you don't suck at all. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, but it's <laughs> but you also don't know what people are going to respond to. Like sometimes I'll do an episode, I'll be like, "That was the best episode of my career," and then I'll get all these <laughs> fan emails of like, "That was an off night, wasn't it?" I'll be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> right? Or Harsh. I'll feel like it was like a lead balloon, and I'm like, "Oh God, what time?" You know? And then it'd be like, "Oh God, that I really felt you connected with yeah. your guests," and blah blah blah. I've had performances where I'm on stage and I'm like, "Oh God, this isn't going well." And then you get off, and they're like, "Oh my God," and I'm like, "What? What did you hear?" Like, yeah. what, what was happening out on this other side? Because you just, I mean, we're all our own worst critic, too. So. But yeah. you also don't ever on stage hear what they're hearing. It's amazing. Never. Because you get these little shitty monitors half the time. And, Correct. And they're getting the, the mains. And you yeah. don't, mm-hmm. what you hear in your show, in your head, is never the show they get. Right. And that's the hardest thing, to. Uh, I'm sure you've done a lot of, like, I've traveled and just played, like, a, a small place, small place, big place, small place. Right, right. And you can't ever understand what, what the show is really to the audience. No, never. You just kind of got to do it and hope they like it. Yeah. Hope for the best. Well, you know, it's like reviews, too. It's like I know I have friends that are writers that get a bad review, and it's like they're going to cut their throat. I know, yeah, it's a personal opinion. You know, if you got nothing but bad reviews, that might be a clue, you know, <laughs> over the years. Tell but that on, to some of my actor but, friends. I'm like, the, another one-man show? Yeah, yeah let me go. Yeah. But <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people will get, uh, like, I'll get good reviews, great reviews, and maybe some bad reviews. And people say, well, they got the bad review. What do you think? I said, well, you know what? They're just as right as the person who loved it. Yeah. They're just as right as the person. 
person who thought it was mediocre. Because if you believe the good ones, you got to yep. believe the bad That's ones. Exactly so, right. You know, you it's good. I always take the good ones, and these are tools. You put them out there because you show them. But if you start believing the good reviews, it's as dumb as believing yep. the bad ones. You got to got to go for it. You know. Don't yeah. Don't let the highs get too high. Don't let the yeah, lows absolutely. Get too I always stay in the middle. Yep. Well, and Riley, I got this question from an actor who uh, has filmed pilot after pilot. They're gonna get Not picked as up, many and then as I have. well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and uh, I heard one of the funniest stories you told uh, uh, a story about your audition for Reba. Where you yeah. tried to like be funny before, and you tried to use like the executive bathroom. How did you hear about that? that, girl? I do research. <laughs> I, I haven't told that story too many times. Um, but uh, this actor emailed me and wanted to know. You know, you've been involved with some really successful shows, and then you've had shows cancel after a season. As an actor, how do you keep your optimism, and how do you not get downtrodden by having something that you give? Your heart onto like you have a new show coming up on yeah. uh, on Fox, Proven Innocent. Well, yeah, but but I've also I just had two shows in a row that only went thirteen episodes and gotten canceled. And I think for me is uh, again it's keeping the the low bar raising. So so the low bar used to be uh, I do a pilot and it got canceled, and it became an ongoing joke that I think I've done more failed pilots than George <laughs> Clooney. Honestly, I think I was over thirteen at one point in my career, which oh my is God. almost impossible because. <laughs> what was your agent saying to you? Well, that, I mean, look, I'm getting pilots, yeah, and right. most yeah. people can't even get a pilot. So yeah. you know, that's the po that's the positive side. The negative side was it didn't get picked up, but um, you know, how many actors don't even get a pilot. So. Um, so that was the low bar at that point, getting a pilot and not getting picked up. Then I went on a three for three streak of pilots getting picked up, but they only lasted one season. So now the low bar is you got to get it picked up and it's got to go a season. So now coming into the third one mm -hmm. of, of the three, uh, with proven innocent, I'm going third time's a charm, uh, on an asterisk. And, uh, now let's get past the season, you know, and you just keep the low bar keeps raising. So now if I can get... Uh, two seasons out of pre Proven Innocent, and by the way, I really hope it goes more than that. But if it only goes two, that's You've that's surpassed. Yeah, yeah. surpassed my lowest bar. So I mean, look, for me, I want to, and and you can attest to this. Uh, I want to do this m the rest of my life. This mm -hmm. is a marathon. Absolutely. It's not a you know, it's, it's about the journey. So, um, so yeah. So if, if if I only get it to go two seasons, that'll be cool. And then the next one, hopefully, will go three, and the next one will go four. Maybe this one goes eight, and then that's my new low bar. But whatever. I mean, just roll yeah. with it. Well, you know, these things about seasons, too, that Happen Leonard went three seasons. Three. It was their most popular show on Sundance, had 100% of Rotten. rating, reviews, yeah. everything. And it still got canceled. Mm -hmm. And and like uh, James Purifoy, we were talking, we, we, we said, hey, man, we're not sad. We got three really good seasons. And they have other reasons that they cancel shows. And, and you know, if you, you could sit down, and I know you could, too, you could sit down here and talk about all kinds of reasons people do. It. But what what I feel good about was I'm just some guy from East Texas, and I had three uh, TV seasons, you know, and that's that's cool to me. It's icing on the cake because I'm a novelist and a short story writer primarily. So it was great to be, a, you know, what producer I do. I, I had that kind of thing where I'm a producer. I get to say what I want, and they get to do what they want, and that was the kind of producing I did, you know. And but but the thing is, is that you. If you get, I had friends that worked on that, but you got to think of all these actors that are suddenly out of work. Actors that were, you know, the people who came every season that were part of it. And that's when I feel bad. I feel bad for the actors because that's their bread and butter, you know.
Although, because I know we went through a lot of controversy when Roseanne was canceled, and like, well, all those people out of work. This is the business, though. If it, if shows get canceled, even if they're great shows, they're just going to get canceled, and that's industry you pick up, mm-hmm. and you just have to have to keep on going. Uh, and happened. Leonard brought such a new audience to Sundance that would never have yeah. checked Sundance out, and they stayed and checked out some of the independent films. They checked out some films that they probably would never get right. to see, but they started watching because happened. Leonard. I want to take a, a, a peek at this uh, season three trailer uh, of Happened Leonard. Um, just to just to get a little feel of one of your adapted shows. Florida. Went down to Grovetown the other day. Grovetown's always a bad idea. Get home, bring her back. It's a two-hour ride, but a hundred years away. Grovetown. It's cursed. Why do I get the feeling of the people are watching us? It's because they are. We're just looking for a friend of ours. She's gone. Some say the devil never left this place. You shouldn't have come here. Folk just dropping dead like flies around here, huh? <laughs> I ain't leaving until we found her. If something happened to Florida, somebody gon' pay. If you gonna die, you die for something. Go get him, boys. You know what ass needs. Asty some kicking. Happen Leonard, the Two Bear Mambo. Premieres Wednesday, March 7th at 10 on Sundance. And all three seasons are available for download. Watch it because it's it's such a great, uh, great, talking about partners in crime or researching crime. Um, do you feel that the adapt, uh, adaptations of your work, do you feel that they're successful? What do you gauge a good adaptation on? Because these are characters that come from literally your, your blood, sweat, and tears. Well, you know what I really gauged it on was that uh, the guys who played Happ and Leonard caught the characters. They mm. they actually did, and the and the series uh, they they were written uh, originally uh, the first season, for example, by friends of mine, and they loved the series. And uh, Jim Mickle had directed Cold in July with right. Sam Shepard and Don Johnson, yep. Michael C. Hall. So I you know had experience with him. So I Casey think they did well. I thought the second and third season there were more changes, but they they really kept the tone of the books and they really kept the tone of the characters. So I I walked away from it as Purefoy and I were saying we were very uh, pleased that we had those three seasons to be proud of. Now your themes with all of your books run, you know, you're a white guy writing from a woman's perspective uh, about strong women. Uh, one of your characters, Happen Leonard, happens to be gay. How do you capture characters that are so not who I'm looking at right now. Well, I think when when people, it's like an actor. An actor may play a werewolf, but that don't mean they have to be one. And uh, <laughs> you know they, but and, and you grow up, you're writing about people that you know. You're writing and and, and uh, George Martin and I were talking one time, and he was saying that you know, about somebody asking him about how you write women characters. He says, I I just assume they're people like everyone else. <laughs> and some people were offended by that. I I got exactly what he meant. He meant that you know they have the same needs and personalities, and of course women have different. Views on things, so it's not a perfect thing to do, but that's what a writer does. A writer explores all these different opportunities. It, it's like being an actor, except you get to be everybody, and you get to direct it, and you get to produce it. You're the art department. You're the dog that barks in the nighttime. You're all of it. So to me, it's it's a it's a way of trying to do the best you can to explore all these characters and make them real. Uh, other people will determine 
for themselves whether you achieve that. But I'm not going to not do it. I mean, what I do, I'd be writing about all white characters, uh, you know. But I grew up with black people. I grew up well, women. Strong women have been very important in my life, and I, I include my daughter in that that uh, very group. Very strong woman. Yeah, very, yeah. So I mean, you you learn from that. That's like, can women write about men? Sure, they got my permission. You know, <laughs> can black people write about white people? Absolutely. Can white people write about black people? Absolutely. Now, with with both of your writing, some of your themes, such as having a gay character or uh, talking about faith and religion the way you do, do you ever get any kickback from your fan base? Uh, mine is a little peculiar because I do have the crossover. But um, for better or for worse, I think a lot of the people who are country music fans, if they explore that side and they go, mm, it's not for me, they don't. Because of the type of uh, fan base that country music typically is, they don't necessarily hold that against me, let's say. And I would say vice versa. You know, if maybe somebody who wants to read the work says, ah, I don't really like country music. But I, I think more than not, the crossover is uh, amazing and continues to grow. And I think people who say, oh, I would never read a horror book. They read it and they go, oh, well, that's not what I thought. And I never would have gone to that had I not already liked your music. Or I don't listen to country music because I'm, you know, heavy metal rocker. And then hear it and go, oh, shit, I, I kind of like what mm -hmm. you're doing. So I think that the, the cross promotion has been more to my benefit than kickback. And I can't even, I mean, maybe uh, on one hand, the the examples I can think of of people who really rebelled against that. But most people, if they like what you do, they like what you do. They like you as an artist and they want to support you. And most people want people to succeed. Are you double jointed? I am. I, true. I saw your yeah. fingers. Yeah, I know. I'm very bendy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just saw that. <laughs> There's a story there. There's a story. Well, you know, the thing about, <laughs> about, uh, about. Think about the response that sometimes you get because I've written uh, about the racial issues that, that I grew up with, the mm -hmm. things that I did not like, I, the things I, the way I did not like to see people treated. Uh, the Bottoms, Bill Paxton and I worked on that book for eight or nine years to make a film and I lost my buddy. He, you know, he died. Uh, but that film is back going again, but it's not just, I want it to made because I wrote it. I want it made because I think it's important. And I, when people disagree with my stuff or don't like it, I just say, Hey, life's full of all kinds of little disappointments. You know, you'll get over it. And it's not, that is exactly my childhood advice. Yeah. I go, dad, your, your life is full of disappointments. You'll get over it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the pep talk. <laughs> I but, feel uh, better. Yeah. yeah, but it helps with like, but, like an audition that doesn't you go right or an audience that You doesn't. can't be all things to all people. Hey, and you yes. shouldn't try to be. It's a ridiculous viewpoint. Because then you please it's nobody. Like, when, when I write, they say, well, what, what do you do for the fans? I say, you know what? I write like everybody I know is dead. And it's not because I don't like the fans. It's because I don't, if I look around and say, what does he want? What's he want? What's she want? What I couldn't figure that out. I've got to go for what I want. And that may sound selfish, and so be it. But when I get through that, I hope everybody loves it. But if they don't, eh, like I said, life's full of a little disappointment. You know, something you said earlier uh, resonated with me because a lot, all the writers that I work with say the same thing that kind of what you said, which is uh, it's got to be really cool when what you wrote down on paper that day in your office or wherever it all comes to life when you get on set and you see the house and the yeah. lawnmower and all this shit that you right. literally wrote down and now you see it come yeah. to life i remember walking on the set and seeing the the truck that uh uh, Hap was driving or seeing. I said, "What? You wrote that? You wrote that? Yeah." And that's the thing that my writer friends all get the biggest kick out of is like, you know, when on episodic shows, 
the, when the writer comes to the episode, every episode there's a new writer, and they'll come up and do a set visit, and, and they'll sit there and they'll go, shit, I wrote wow. this. Yeah. Like, I literally wrote that board right there, yeah. and now it's here. And I'm oh, like, yeah. that's got to be really cool. Well, you, you know, I was like uh, watching one of, one of the episodes of Happ and Leonard, and I was getting emotional because it was an emotional episode, and I wrote, I invented that person. Yeah. And I invented that idea, that concept that I'm trying to get across. And then, you know, you would see on Twitter and stuff that the people that were really moved by it, you know, there's always somebody that's not going to like it, like I said. But when you do make that connection because you cared about your own personal connection first, then that's when it really means something. Riley, is that how you felt when in Nashville you were able to uh, partner your love of music and your ability for singing? And then you were able to not just say, hey, I, I, I... I'm an actor who sings, and I'm a singer who also acts. Yeah. Not only were you able to show that to your audience, but unlike some actors who say, "Oh, I have an album," and you're like, "Okay, you know, yeah. somebody else has auto tune, whatever." You were <laughs> like, your character was a star in his own right, and so you had the opportunity to have like your music video moment, your studio time, where your singing was just as important as your your acting ability. When you saw the first episode of Nashville on TV where you were able to sing as your character did you get that kind of feeling yeah well can I can I give this uh, scoop to this this will be the first time yes, I said please. this out loud so the, the this uh, when I did the Nashville audition um, I went in and they had written the character he could have been a rap artist uh, who was turning country or he could have been a rock and roll artist who was turning country and they wanted to leave it open for all Interesting. Uh, you know, demographics. Mm-hmm. And, and so now, little known fact about me, back in my 20s, I loved to rap. Like, I really did. I would Shut make, up. I did. I love. <laughs> I, I have a little home you studio. You heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> I have a little home studio in my house, and I make all my music there, my demos and stuff. And I love, I used to. I don't, I'm too old to rap now, but I used to love rap No music. such thing. And, uh, and so I would make raps all the time. And at that moment in my life, I, I, I was kind of like, ah, Nashville, I, I wasn't in the country like I am now. Mm-hmm. It, Nashville, the show, really reinvented the love of country for me. And it, it, there was a moment where I kind of got out of it. And uh, I think for the nation, too. Yeah. Really yeah. responded to that show. Well, and there was a moment, too, with country where it got like the badonkadonks and like right. it got real cheesy. Yeah, and I was really. just like, man, I'm not about this. And, and I didn't know the show. And I was like, if that's what this is, I don't want to do it. I got my goddamn tractor and a happy meal you know yeah yeah and the girl hey, I'd be happy <laughs> so I went into the audition and the uh, the producer I met with the creator and the producer and and they said do you want to act or sing first and I said I'm going to act first cuz I know that's what I do for a living and so I acted first and I could tell that they were vibing it and then they said well what do you want to sing and I said I actually I have a rap I want I want to do <laughs> And I'm going to play it acoustically. And they started laughing. I was like, no, I'm dead serious. I'm going to rap for you guys. And I thought it would be cool. If I'm going to do this show, I'm going to play a rapper turn, turned uh, country artist. So I, I did the rap. <laughs> and they started laughing. I left. And then about uh, an hour later, my manager called me and said, they love you, but they didn't take it serious. You got to go back and sing a rock song. That's funny. And I was like, well, what, what the fuck? What do they want? A rock and roll song? What, what kind of rock and roll song? Like, tell me what... So I ended up going back and singing uh, Kings of Leon, something about, uh, uh, some, uh, what was it? No, I... Uh, somebody... Uh, need somebody. Need somebody, there it is. thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've already had too many vodkas. <laughs> um, no such thing. <laughs> no, on the rocks. So uh, so I went back in and then did re-sing it for them um, and then got the job. But then I said, like, can I still be the rapper turn? And they're like, no, you have to be the rock star <laughs> turn country artist. But, um, but yeah, 
to answer your question. If you could have done that on the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> I was been curious about Nashville because I, I'm a huge fan of the show and I watch and I feel like every single song they do can be like a top charter. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean, does that, do they work with you to fund something that so, vibes so with here's you how it how goes. does that work? Here's how it goes. And this is a really great question, Fernando, because... I had never done this kind of thing before, and it moves so fast. Like I've so quick. I've been in a band in LA for ten years. We played the Hotel Cafe and all these places on a regular. And I thought I was like a decent musician. Yo, these people on Nashville are so good, and they're so dialed in. And so when I got there, it's like getting thrown in a spin cycle. And what happens is like you'll get the script. Let's for instance, you'll get the script on a, a Sunday to start shooting on a Monday. And then you also get your song that you have to sing on the show for that week. Then on Monday, on top of shooting whatever you have to shoot that day, you got to go into a recording studio, uh, record the song. Your voice is tired when you, yeah. And then Tuesday, you've got to go into a uh, choreographed uh, session with the band and whoever you're in the scene with to choreograph that. Then on Wednesday, you shoot it. And then, you know, it's, so it's like bam, 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 bam. And I was not ready for that. Like, I didn't even really know how to work in a studio at that point yet. And then you're working with, like, some of the biggest people right. in, in Nashville. T-Bone's over there. Get together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the writers are so good. And, the, you know, the guy singing the demo track that they give me right. is 100 times better than me. In fact, great story, Matthew Perryman Jones, who's, uh, like, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, he had done a demo of one of the songs that I was singing on the show. And in the middle of them, like, I looked at the producer and I go, I can't fucking sing like this guy. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Why don't you get this guy? He's yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. So then after we got done doing the song, I asked the producer, Tim Lauer, I said, who's this guy singing the song? Because he's amazing. <laughs> and he goes, this guy, Matthew Perryman Jones, you should look him up. So I looked him up. Next week, when I go back to do the next song, I was like, I love, I'm in love with this guy. I want to write with him. And so Tim set me up with a writing session with me, him, and Matt Matthew Perman Jones, and uh, and then that became the song "I'm on Fire" that I did yes. the music video yes. for and everything mm -hmm. else. And so, the, but that's what's cool about the Nashville. It's like everybody's like, I think uh, maybe I'm I'm jaded. Oh man, they are musicians. They, you know, I went to uh, one of Casey's. Uh, she was preparing for a stage show with uh, John Carter Cash, mm -hmm. and John Carter's her producer. Yep. And so they were at the Cash Cabin, and I was watching. I mean, that time you had a guitar player. I won't name him. Good guy, man. Good man. Fantastic guitar player. But when they were practicing the 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 all the pros, they went, "Wait a minute, she's the star. You're you're coming in. You're coming in on her. You know, you're not really letting." They really her... know how to be good and let the and, the vocalist right, shine. Right. And, and those right. the studio cats like they go in there and they hit the mark every time. They know exactly what to do. You know, they they're it's so like two passes yeah. and they're done. Nashville yeah. cats, and, man. And also with the songwriting, I mean, I know like my pub deal, for example, they wanted other writers that were on their their company to all work together yeah. and that way everybody's kind of connected it stays in the family if you will and the way they do it is just you know put you in a room talk it out you know a couple hours later you come out hope you wrote L something awesome lunch <laughs> well they call them lunchbox uh lunch pail uh writers right yeah. where they they show up with their lunchbox they write a song they have lunch they go to the next one write another right. song yeah. and those guys would the, you give them a okay here's the sheet got it yep yeah, well, I'm doing, I'm doing, I have a charity event in July uh, in my hometown of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 
and we do it for uh, uh, underprivileged kids who are into the arts. And, and I read, and you've you've been doing that for yeah, this a, 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 yeah. yeah, third year, and it's been amazing. I love I love the Eastern Iowa Arts Academy. It's a it's basically the YMCA for kids into art. They can come in there and after school, and they can I they can love have this teachers. So they can uh, join bands. They can record. It's they terrific. can uh, rehearse. It's really cool. So it's all nonprofit. But anyway, so every year we do a, a deal, uh, an all-day music uh, showcase for all the kids, and then I headline it, and all the money is raised goes to the Academy. Well, this year I'm putting together a band out of Nashville, and uh, the guys are all busy. I'm busy. We can't even rehearse before we do right. it. And my manager tells me, and from Nashville, he goes, They'll be ready. You just show up. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't. I can't. They will be ready, though. I, but, but I can't <laughs> show up. Like, I need to rehearse. You can't be ready, no, huh? No, <laughs> they can. I can't. I, my lead guitarist is Keith Urban's lead guitarist. This guy named Brian Nutter, he's, he's played with like, Keith Urban for 15 years. And, like, I know they're ready, but I'm not. <laughs> so when can I get to Nashville to rehearse with them before then? Because that's yeah. the way it is. Those guys, yeah. they don't even need to rehearse. They show up, and they will just be like... But I can't do that yet. I'm, I'm the one there. who rehearses karaoke outside the karaoke <laughs> bar. It's like, I just want to know. You know, it's funny. Shirley Jones was on the show. I'm not a girl. <laughs> yes. Not yet a woman. Well, that's very true. <laughs> uh, um, but Shirley Jones was on the show, and she was, of course, in the Partridge family. And she was saying uh, when Cassidy would have to, it was the same thing. They'd get their scripts, and then not only would he have to do the whole day on set, but go in the studio. And then they had to release each single for that week as, like, its own individual record. So we had to do the photo shoot and all that. Oh. And he he couldn't he couldn't even enjoy like uh, I think I love you or I think I love you that song he didn't even get to enjoy what that song was because it was like next 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 small small weird coincidence I had a TV script that, a pilot that I made that I wrote with another partner of mine and Sean Cassidy actually uh, took it and had it on under his umbrella for a year um, so I got to know him very well and it was about a burnout pop singer so I thought I was like this is gonna work great for Sean. <laughs> Yeah. And then Sean ditched us at the last second. <laughs> oh, those Cassidy's. Didn't even send me a personal email. Had his assistant send me an email and say, uh, we're not moving further with your script. I'm like, Sean, you owe me a fucking email. That was his point. assistant's assistant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the dog. The dog, yeah. Riley, I, I, I want to take uh, take a little listen of uh, I'm on Fire. And, of course, we talked about Matthew Perryman Jones and Tim Lauer. Um who of course worked with uh, Hank Williams, Shawn Mendes, Blake Shelton, um, and this is this is a culmination. This is this is on my playlist when I'm at the gym and I'm feeling like don't do the extra ten minutes. <laughs> number one, I think of like all this happening. I'm like, you can do it because I'm on fire. So let's just <laughs> I'm on fire.
I love what I love is how you play with your voice. I love how you do that that flip up. Uh, I listen to this over and over. It's called falsetto. Yes, <laughs> believe me. Hello, <laughs> my tombstone's gonna be a falsetto. Oh, I'm Mandy Patinkin. Um, but we got so many questions about your music versus acting career. Do you think being an actor has overshadowed uh, your music? No, 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 no. I for me, I, I always I'm an actor first and foremost. That's what I do. That's what I'm best at. That's what I. That's my. That's my calling in life, I believe. And uh, I, but I love music, so you know I, I don't let anybody try to like. People always try to do this. Like, what do you want? What do you most you know want to do? Or if you could do one, no, I I am an actor. That's what I'm best at, and I love music, and I express my my own personal self through music. And whoever wants to attach to that, cool. And whoever doesn't, cool. Um, that's for me. Like the music's for me. The acting's for everyone else. Now, what inspired me? Because I know you won, uh, or no, your first modeling campaign was with uh, Tommy Hilfiger, mm -hmm. and you used that money directly for acting classes. Mm -hmm. And you were super young, so you must have wanted acting that badly. Where did that come from? Well, listen, when we're so old here that when, when in 1996, seven in Iowa, when you're uh, uh, in high school, there. That was there was no internet. There was no opportunity to be an actor. It was a it was a pipe dream, you know. So I didn't really ever think that that was possible. So I just was into the idea of the arts. I'd done it in high school. I did the plays and the musicals, and uh, I even did. Uh, I I thought I would be a radio broadcaster. I did uh, all the speech. With that face, come on, Riley. Well, I mean, I was just, you know, <laughs> I just knew I wanted to be in that kind of business. Yeah. And I didn't know how else. And there was no Instagram to get you famous yeah. at that point. So yeah. I just I just wanted, I just knew I wanted to be artistic and, and be in entertainment. And so I was willing to figure out anything I could. And then it just so happens a woman came up to me at a mall when I was picking up my tuxedo and said... It's like an old-fashioned Hollywood it, it story. It's so crazy. But those things existed back in the 80s and yeah. 90s. It doesn't exist anymore. You don't need it. Number one, people don't go to the malls because they're online shopping. There Number no two, malls. if somebody came up to you at yeah. a mall and says, hey, be famous, no, you'd be the, like... The mall, the mall I'm talking about doesn't even exist. They tore it down. So there are no malls. The, the that, that whole process doesn't exist anymore. But back then it did, and so I followed it, and... and uh, it worked out, you know, but like I didn't I mean, it was a pipe dream. I didn't think about it. I was just kind of following. In fact, when I left high school and went to New York to try modeling, uh, I told my parents, oh, it's just for the summer and then I'll go I'll go to college and let's just see what happens. And then the summer turned into the fall, the fall turned into the winter. And by the winter, I had that uh, first WB pilot and then that kind of set me on, on my course. And then I woke up and I was 30 and I was like, shit. This is what I do for a living. I never went to college. Like, this is it. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, uh, yeah, it all, it, back then it was much different than it is now. It you know, and there's something to be said for not going to college. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. Cause I didn't, I, I went for a couple of years. I never got the degree, but you, you figure too, things right? out. Yeah. yeah. You figure it out. I say, I say, I still believe kids should not have to enter enroll in college at 18 and decide what they want to do for the rest of their entire lives I agree at with 18 that. years old? Well, but you yeah. guys not. You, you guys yeah. are a different breed though where you guys like were mature and you guys had values whatever. Ah. The, the youth of today I have to say I'd be scared if they didn't have that set this is what you're going to do. Well you know I don't I, mean, I don't know about that. I mean uh, I know a lot of people that are they're young that I think are very very smart very wise good people. Introduce but, them to me. Yeah there's only well there's two of them. No I, I, I <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but the thing is, is that I, I never really thought about anything except being a writer. When I was a kid, that's all I wanted to do. And there was no, there were no writers. There were no, you know, no, no editors, no agents. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't even know how to submit. I mean, I thought you wrote in longhand. You know, and when I finally got the typewriter and I'd learned to put it, I'd mail it, I was mailing things to Dog Digest and stuff. I had no idea that they didn't buy short But it's stories. like what actors, when you we learn. used to have to put headshots in the mail and yeah. here's my postcard, you know, well, now it it's took all... forever. You'd send it, you'd wait for the mail to get there, you'd wait for them to read it, you'd wait for them to reject it, you know. And so all that took a lot of time, so you kept a lot of stories in the mail. Now I can go to the email and I can hit that button and they've got that story they can't lie to me and say you know the check's in the mail yeah i know you got it i want that check now then no no um and you were really inspired by the author of tarzan Edgar Rice Burroughs, when I was a kid, that was one of the, you know, he's like my sentimental favorite. You can outgrow him. But yeah. when I was uh, young, you know, comic books were my first real interest. I wanted to write comic books. But they had a thing called Classics Illustrated where they did, uh, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and, and that's everything. Where you learned, yeah. And that's made me start wanting to read those guys. Yeah. And uh, as I did, I started writing stories and uh, uh, trying to, you know, make it as a writer. And Edgar Rice Burroughs, before I wanted to be a writer, after I read him, I had to be one because he sort of fired me up, you know. I mean, I go back and you read it now, and it's of a different generation, yep. of a different time, a lot of racial things. And I actually finished a Tarzan novel, though. You did? They, he had one unfinished, and they hired me to finish it. And uh, so I, I did that. But, you know, they had places in there where I took out some of the racist stuff, and it was just too mm-hmm. much. It was just too dated. But it was a great honor to have worked with someone been, who created Tarzan. Yeah. Yeah. Can, yeah. I, can I ask real quick, like, uh, yeah. living in East Texas, yeah. being so artistic, you had to be, like, one of a million, uh, like, one of none over there, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you had to be, like, the weirdest guy there. Well, you know, like, I, I, I was... Uh, you know, I was also that's why I was a martial artist. Yeah, right. uh, but <laughs> to but, fight off all the yeah, yeah you be like I actually was haters, pretty, haters, chops. Yeah, yeah, I was actually pretty popular. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of that conflict. But, but it's there, so cool that you lived over there and you, yeah. you had still live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still live like, there. Like, there's not a lot of people like you in that area of the country. He's well, that's court. true, and yeah. and I never met anybody that understood what I wanted to be or understood what my parents were always encouraging. My father couldn't read or write. I read that. Really? Yeah. yeah. And my my mother had an eleventh grade education, which I think was the top when she got it, and I think it went to eleventh grade. But she was a big reader. But they both encouraged. <laughs> Big reader. Yeah, yeah, she, she was a big read. reader. But my father couldn't read or write. But they both encouraged me from early on to do it. But they were the only ones because nobody goes. What do you What do you want to write them stories for? You know, what you got to go around with your nose in a book? Well, I, I got a nose in a book, but I can also whip your ass. So, <laughs> and I could buy a pool if I wanted well, to. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, on that note, Fernando, do you even lift? Dude, bro, I sometimes do and I sometimes don't. You know, it's funny because I hang out with Fernando and, you know, we're from the LGBT community and, of course, muscles are king. But he's so, like, down to earth, low key. Like, it's, yeah. I'm very sexist. No, dude, yeah, you're he very is, he is sexy. No. Fernando's very sexy. Uh, <laughs> dude, are you making know. another announcement on my show, no, Riley? I'm not making Do you know how many of my fans would listen, drop dead right now? No, I'm, I'm, I'm completely comfortable in my my sexuality. That's what I love because. But I can tell yeah. I can tell you, Fernando's like jacked up. It's cool. Well, man. Thank you. I had a sexy audition today, so good. I hope you you should feel <laughs> like, good about yourself. I was for preparation H. I want you to feel good about yourself. You should. You're you're jacked. I wish I wish I had those on. I do. But also going by what what you said about how we hang out and. It's kind of like I'm a fuddy-duddy. But back on what they were saying about how, you know, holding on to your roots, like, I just stay, I'm alone a lot. 
<laughs> so it's like mainly because I like to be around, you know, like very healthy, positive people that keep me grounded in, you know, Los so you're by yourself. Is that why we don't hang out? <laughs> well, he's in the gym I spend all the a lot time. Of time yeah. I spent a lot of time, you his know, by right myself. Right arm is much bigger than his left arm. Yeah, <laughs> so I spent a lot of time by myself writing. And the time I that I come up that. for air, it's like, oh, so and so's free. Okay, let's go do something. And that's Riley Smith. You know, that kind of helps you helps you with the career. Also, it's like okay, like stay focused on what you need to do. Um, and that's, you know, for you, that was, yeah, you know, be happy, do what you want and treat people right. And that's, that's it. Show up on the last part is very hard for some people, but we all have the common theme is that when we were very young, we kind of had this idea, Joe, when Casey started writing at such an early age and being published at age eight, were, uh, were you scared for her at all for entering this author world or were you just like oh that's i I think i I never i never pushed my kids to be anything or not to be but you know you always and my my son is also a writer he's selling Mm -hmm. screenplays comics he's a screenwriter yeah Yeah. and uh but the thing is is that you you want them to be happy but you also know how damn hard this business is and so you know man you're gonna have heartache and then she was in music and i knew she was gonna do that and she's been She's been making money in, uh, in music since she's 17, 18 years old. And uh, I, so I knew she had that, but still, it's a tough business. It's tough. And right when she went in is when all of a sudden the CDs collapse and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's on the Internet. Musicians and, uh, don't make money no, from their albums anymore. They no, make no, money no, from sure. the live performances. Right, that's right. I've heard. So I, that scared me for But, you know, I always, I always had faith in my kids. They're good kids. I, I knew they would do well. I have to tell you, it's so surreal having, like, your dad here. Because Casey and I, you know, we we talk, but having... Uh, Riley, if you had kids tomorrow, would you encourage them to be in entertainment if no, they wanted to? I have nieces. I have, like, my sister has two little girls, and I would say I, I wouldn't want... No, no, not at it's all. It's tough. Um, when they get old enough to make the choice of their own, maybe, but not in the beginning. But if, what if that's their passion? You can't tell a kid no with their passion. Yeah, I don't know. He's not encouraging them. He's but not it, telling them no. People send me videos of their kids, and they're like, you know, singing, oh, they're going to follow your footsteps. And I'm always like, go to college. <laughs> Get a degree. Yeah. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you're creative, you're going to do it. Yeah. No, yeah. he's right. That's, but, that's but, actually but a really good point. And that's why I always did. I didn't want to push them into it, because I also knew all the pitfalls. I knew how hard it could be. Especially, you know, I, when I started, there was nobody. It was me figuring this stuff out with a manual typewriter, yeah. and my wife being there to yeah. say, Okay, keep doing it. And I'm working. I was a bouncer. I was. Uh, uh, I, I did rose fields. I did potato bouncer. fields. I did. Yeah, I, I, I'm a, I was a bouncer. Martial artist. Yeah, and I was always the one that had to fight because I was small. But but uh, you know I was I was younger then too. I, I was spry then. Uh, <laughs> but but I did all these different jobs and learned how to do it as I went. So I think that if there are other people that driven, they're going to do just what I did. Mm. They're going to. They're going to pursue that route, but that doesn't mean I need to push them out in front of a car. You know, I, I, I kind of wanted my kids to find their own way. I never thought that she would actually write, uh, you know, books and stories. I knew she was going to sing. My son, I thought he was going to play video games till he died. You know, <laughs> hey, there's a career now for yeah, that. Yeah, but now with so. the with the books, I've always been curious because I'm I'm self published. Are you guys have you guys self published works or have you? Always I'm had I'm my New York publishers, and uh, this is a small smaller press, mm. but I. I always, I don't self-publish uh, except some of my old um, uh, backlists. I've got like three of them. But my deal has always been I want them to pay me. I'm not paying them. Mm. And so when I worked for Little Brown or I worked for Knopf and different places like that, they pay me. They send me on book tour. And, uh, you know, that's how I make a living. Because otherwise I'd be selling them out of the trunk of my car, you know. And I'm not s- suggesting that people shouldn't self-publish 
But there's a lot to be learned by being vetted by editors and and, and even if they're wrong, because you uh, that being defeated a little bit is what makes you a little stronger. I have no problem with people doing right off, well right off. The first thing I ever wrote, I sold. It was a nonfiction piece. Every one of those I wrote, I sold. Then I tried fiction. took me two and a half years. I had a story I sent to Mike Shane Mystery Magazine. And the guy said, well, this is pretty good, but it's not quite right. So I revised it. I sent it in. He rejected it again. I revised it again. And I sent it back. He said, you know, I hate this story more every time I see it. But that was, I sent a new, he said, try something new. And he bought the next one. And so there's something to be said for this this vetting process. You learn as you go. And also, I was able to start making money to pay for my hobby that eventually became my career. So I'm I'm not opposed to self-publishing. I'm just saying I'd, I'd rather not unless I've already, I'm self-publishing stuff I've already had published before. You know, mm. I, Can I ask a question real quick? So, rightly, of course. Because, because I'm, I'm just getting to know everybody here. My Lord. So, so at, your wife was working in the freezer and you were writing. At what point did that become a career and she didn't have to work in the freezer? Well, I, I worked other jobs after that. I became a janitor for seven years after those three months. While writing. Yes, I always really? wrote, I, and See, I would I would work in the mornings, and then I worked from uh, I think it was three in the afternoon till twelve thirty at night. I don't remember the exact time uh-huh. because you had some time that you had lunch or whatever. But it took me. Uh, I went full time in eighty one, and my wife continued to work till eighty eight, and then I was doing well enough. She went to work for me, yeah. and she still works for me. Right on. So I've been doing That's- it. For since nineteen eighty one full time and so, selling since nineteen seventy three. So how long did it take from when you started writing to when you were full time a writer? Uh, eight, seven, see, eight years. Eight years. Lord. See, and that's okay. my point. It takes a long time. Yeah. And this this separates the professionals from the the wannabes because I have a lot of friends that want to be actors that want to be singers and they'll put out a YouTube music video or whatever, but mm. they're not willing to put in. If I have to work all the rest of the hours of my day, then that's what I have to do. Or if I have to pound the, the pavement or whatever, they're not willing to do the work nowadays. And that's no. what I find over and over in the yeah. entertainment industry from so many different genres, from writers, from actors, from singers. Right. Do the work if you want right. it. It's, it. There's no such thing as an overnight well, success anymore. There's just not. I made, a, takes... I made a living at it, and I did it because I loved it, but I also had to pay bills. So I've always had that union of knowing that I can be artistic and still pay my bills. And uh, I remember when Casey might need a prom dress or my son might need something, so I'm I'm doing a little extra work, you know, I'm sending that in. The f- uh, let me tell you the most jacked up story from yeah, this man. This. So when I was little, because I'm little and I don't understand how things work and I need, I, or I want something, and I was, Daddy, I want such and such. He's like, well, we just can't afford it right now or we don't have that money. I said, well, Daddy, go write something. <laughs> so about, like a check. I don't know, about 10 years ago and when I started selling and did, I was like oh man I need money for such and such he's like why don't you go write something <laughs> I was like oh full circle full circle I yeah. know I was like touche daddy touche he's been waiting like you know 20 years yeah, for that I was, moment I had that. I was that's good about the energy between you two you guys have done so many article uh, interviews and articles about uh, Tara's or business so I'm not going to ask you the same questions you know but I do know that you don't like to collaborate that much. It no. was kind of like you kind of had to, here's what we're going to do. What do you think of this? She tricked me. Right. And sent you an email with some of the pages. Yeah, she tricked me. Uh, what happened is uh, Christopher Golden wanted me to write a story and a he wanted me book. to do a collaboration. Yep. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. I don't like collaborating because, like I said, I don't plot. I just make up my own stories. And and then Casey wrote and says, hey, would you collaborate with me? I said, no, I love you, but no. 
And so then she wrote some pages and sent them to me. And, I wrote the and first five pages so and emailed it to him. And I was like, yep. I told Christopher, I said, just wait, watch this. Because yeah. I knew as soon as he started reading, that little thing would go ding. And he'd yeah. be like, yeah. And he sent me back and he was like, damn you. Yeah. <laughs> I have to tell you, the energy of, of the joint stories, it's, it's so infectious. And I, I I couldn't stop reading this, you know, because I because I, I thought it was on Kindle. It's not until it's not on Kindle until July thirty first. Thirty first. Right. Um, so pre order your Kindle. Um, I'm the one that likes old fashioned books, so I had this delivered like same day. And I remember I texted you. Yeah, I, I know. Like, Thank I just you. got it. <laughs> couldn't stop putting down such great stories, but told with such person like personality. I laughed. I I just did did everything. But there's a very certain energy when you guys came together. And so I'm not going to ask you about collaboration because we know you don't like it. Uh, but Casey, some of the questions we got from other collaborators, and I'm talking from singer collaborators as well. Um, how easy was it to remain strong in your convictions regarding the storyline, your characters, when you're dealing with not just your dad, but also somebody who's written all these novels? Was it hard for you to say, no, we're going to keep doing this? No, it wasn't. I mean, I would say it's not hard because, A, I don't feel like I can't say that because at the end of the day, I, you know, we either agree or we don't. And life moves on and thanksgiving's around the corner right i mean and you know and it's not that kind of thing but i would say that nine times out of ten um if he says hey that just doesn't work for me i don't have a problem deferring because he's been doing it for 40 years because he has all these characters and i hope that at this point he knows something but when those times came up that i had a conviction about it and i would say hey i really feel strongly about this i want to do this then because i tended to say okay most of the time he would go with it so we kind of have a really good working relationship yeah. in that way. Like, I assume that for the most part, he knows what he's doing, so I, I'm okay with it. And if if I feel strongly about it, he knows that if I'm, you know, putting my foot down, then it obviously is important to me, and we just do it and move on. So I, and I, didn't, I don't, right. al yeah, I yeah. don't always know what I'm doing. That's that's people always think, well, you've been doing it this long, you must know what you're doing. Hell no! Every time I start a new book, I always think, have I done this before? It's, it's a new experience, you know. and but That's what keeps it fresh well, and relevant. But so many of her ideas were far better than mine. So I would, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. I wish I'd thought of that, you know. So we would work that way. But, you know, that, that the thing that the writers, I think, that start to suck are the writers that start to think they know what they're doing. They start to think they know completely. There's a difference in understanding. Ego takes over. Well, there's a difference in understanding the craft and polishing the craft because you're always doing that. You're always trying to be better. You know, I, I like to think I'm a better writer now than when I began, but that's time and that's experience. But yet you still hope to have more experience and to become better yet. You never get to where I know what I'm doing. You kind of know what you're doing, but never really. It's the same energy that I read in this book. I, I tell you, you just it's it's so great. Uh, we have to wrap up the show, if you can believe it. Time goes by so quickly. Riley, uh, we got a lot of fan emails about two different subjects. So pick one that you want to address. Then we're going to do rapid fire, and then uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, you can either talk about dealing with the paparazzi and fan sites with all the comments on your life. How do you deal with that? Or you can talk about what type of characters or situations make you the most comfortable. Um, and somebody referenced uh, when when you showed your butt on True Blood, the whole internet went crazy. Uh, so which one of those two do you want to talk about? Um, well, they kind of go hand in hand. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, no, they don't. Um, well, with the paparazzi thing, I, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's you know, everybody reads and, and looks into what they think they know, and they only get a picture version of what they know. 
So they get one picture or two or a few, and then they can construct a whole story based on on those pictures. And so, you know, I mean, what we should all already know, and I think everybody does, is that it's not real. You know, like everyone constructs their own story based on a picture. So, um, you know, I, I would just, like, tell everybody to think twice about believing what they see in a picture uh as far as my butt on camera <laughs> I, mean, I think that's part of my job and i was so nervous to actually do it the first time but um now that i've done it once i'm like man i'll do it again you know I mean? oh, believe me fans <laughs> would, would have you i will probably when it when the time is right when the role is right i will i, I have no problem if it's within the restrictions of the character and the, the storyline and yeah I'll do it again well we end the show by everybody showing their butt so <laughs> <laughs> surprise <laughs> uh, Joe one last question for you uh, yeah. writing for superheroes especially I know that you got inspired by the early comics right. of the classics right. writing uh, Batman and Superman stories I mean that has some heft to it did your creative process change anyway in dealing with that, or did you just you just went? No, with I it? just got a call one day from them, and they said, "Do you want to write for the Batman the Animated Show?" And I went, "What? <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah." Do. But it's because I had written a, a Batman novel. They'd asked me to do that from Warner, and so when they asked me to do it, I was. I was excited to do it, and uh, my kids didn't care about anything that I did before that. But when they saw that, then suddenly it's like, "Wow, he did!" Batman. We couldn't. For the record, we weren't allowed to read or see certain things. One of the questions of mine, is, yeah. "Have you read everything that he's I would, written?" I have a life. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have other things I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it was uh, to me, it was a great honor to do it, and I still, for me, that's the real Batman is that animated series. Yeah, well, Mark Hamill played the Joker, which, and he was terrific. Which, yeah. He I had loves. I had Elizabeth Montgomery in one of my episodes, her last Are you perform, kidding? last performance, and it was in. Are you the, kidding? No, that just it was gave in me one the called called uh, uh, Showdown, and uh, I had some great actors doing voices and stuff, and I I was really pleased. It was a uh, it was like a little dream come true. The little kid came out in me. Mm. Of course, that was back in the '90s, so I was more of a kid anyway. Mm. I was a forty years old kid or forty year old. Kid. Meeting you face to face, you're just. Like all of us here, we have such a spirit here. Tonight's been so much fun. Sharing so many, we all come from such different walks of life, but we all have such passion for what we do. Yeah. Yeah? If Fernando doesn't lift. I do, I do not. I do not. He's going to go okay. home and lift weights tonight. Yeah. The promo? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, we end the show by doing rapid fire. So you're going to answer five questions rapid fire. Um, it's not deep or anything. And then let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you. Um, and then Fernando's going to leave us with a little gift. Yes? Yeah. Okay. You'll go. Okay. Who wants to go first? Rapid fire. Casey. Okay. Casey, go no, no, no. No, no. This is you. Go ahead. Right, fine. I'm going. Riley. Yeah. As a consummate musician who has so many different influences in your voice and your uh, music videos and your songs, <laughs> what is the most... <laughs> And rap. <laughs> oh, we also, you guys, we also had uh, the question from the, they wanted you guys to do an acapella song. I don't like to put musicians on the spot. How you doing? Let's do it right now. Yes. Right this minute. Oh, oh that was good har 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 harmony. Yeah. Nailed it. Riley, what is the most embarrassing song on your playlist? Uh, Pink, Pink, <laughs> Pink Cashmere by Prince. Oh. You ever heard that? I'm giving you a coat of pink cashmere. There's your acapella performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah dude, it's bad. Wait, wait, do a little bit more. Awesome. Do you know that? Do you have that? Can you pull that up real quick? <laughs> Go ahead and sing some more. 
pink cashmere. Come on, come on, come no, on. No, 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 no. Just sing a little because Kurt was going to add some reverb. A pink cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know that you got you gotta have both up. That sounded amazing. All right. Well, that's why I've never heard that. No, you guys don't know. Mine is Mbop. Uh, oh, that is embarrassing. That yeah. is embarrassing, but I love it. Every remix. Uh, okay, uh, Riley, your worst audition, which we kind of talked about. Yeah, but maybe uh, it's a different audition story. No, same same one. I I was screen testing for the role of uh, the lead role that uh, Howie got on. Oh, you have it there, Pink Cashmere. Yeah. My fans are so oh, confused with you right yeah, now. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, help, help with this as background. So worst All right, audition. Worst audition ever um, was uh, uh, Reba screen test to uh, get the lead role that Howie ended up getting. And um, I had been in, I had a, I, at that moment I had a, uh, a deal with um, uh, the W, I think it was WB at that time. Where It was it was the W, it wasn't yeah. C, CW. Yeah, it was WB. Yeah. And so I had a holding deal where they had to pay me X amount to work me or not work me. So they finally they they That's had a good deal to have. Yeah, by the it way. was. So they had to give me a pilot, and so I had, had uh, screen tested for almost every pilot they had at that point. And it, and what happens to happen is uh, producers have to want you, and and so I think I'd been through like four shows that the producers didn't want me for, and finally got to Reba. And I was so tired of like being rejected that, that that I realized that there was a bathroom in the uh, president of the WB's um, office, where which we, is usually just for the president, by right. the way. So I walked in, and they they introduce you like, "Hey, this is Riley Smith auditioning for the role of Reba, blah blah." And you're looking at all the uh, creatives of Warner Brothers, in like their the suits, president. They're not smiling. No, there's yeah. like there's like twenty people in suits. And I walked in, and I went straight to the bathroom, and I was like, sorry, I, I need a second. And I went to the bathroom, and I flushed the toilet, unzipped my pants, and I looked myself in the mirror, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and then I was like, you got to go through with this. So I came out of the bathroom, zipping up my pants. So I was like, okay, I'm ready now. I'm ready. And they were like, what? And no one laughed. It was just like crickets. I didn't get that job, obviously. But for the character, that was so perfect, though. Well, I'd been every day. I'd been in for a drama, and uh, it was like a deep drama. And comedy is not your no, it's not my most thing. comfortable so thing. So I yeah. thought I'll shake it up. I'll try to make them laugh. I'll try to make them forget about the last four days that they'd see me for dramas that they rejected me for, and then they, you know and that didn't work either. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was my worst audition ever. All right, a dream duet with a singer who has passed. Who has passed? Ah, mm -hmm. uh, shoot. Um, Whitney Houston would <laughs> be wow. at the top of the list, you know? All right. Uh, worst fashion trend that you fell victim to? And I've seen uh, all of your past oh, headshots, oh, by the way. Oh, there have oh, been got, many. I'm, I know that. Yeah. I know that already. There is one that is so bad that at the moment, uh, it was like 2003. It was for a People magazine party. I showed up drunk, and I dressed myself. My <laughs> manager and publicist came, like, caught me halfway through the red carpet. And they were like, you, you got to leave. You got to go. What was it? Uh, it was a People magazine party. No, what but were you what wearing? Was I wearing? So I was wearing a, um, it was back in the day where this was, a, this was the thing, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, a button-up shirt with a matching tie, but it was like patterns everywhere, right? So the shirt and the tie had patterns, but they all matched. 
And then what I did was I put a Marty McFly yes, vintage uh, vest, like a life preserver <laughs> vest, over that. That sounds kind of cool. It, no, it, I no, have a, okay. you want to see? No, I have a really. picture. <laughs> I can show you. Riley, you could wear like a hospital gown and, and be like, then, the so best then, new thing from Riley Smith so is I, a hospital gown. I zip <laughs> the uh, the Marty McFly uh, vest half up, and then I put the tie over the vest. Then I had. <laughs> A, uh, uh, I had the chain link uh, wallet. I had the, mm. the the big leather band, like Hot I Topic had, must have had to say. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> it was it was the worst. I mean, they told me to leave the party. They were like, "Get off the red carpet and go home." Because so, yeah. the outfit or because you were drunk? Yeah. <laughs> both. I mean, maybe both. But back then. That's why I dress back, well. They can only tell me to go home you know for was, one reason. You know what was cool back then? was like you could be drunk. When you're in your 20s, you could be drunk and no one noticed it. Like now, people are like, oh, you Let me just drunk. tell you, that has changed. My show is called On the Rocks. People like my personality. They invite me to the party. So when I get a little wasted at the open bar, you paid for it, bitch. Um, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I just scared all the parties. <laughs> Riley, what would you tell your 16-year-old self? Uh, to enjoy the journey, honestly. Mm-hmm. Not like, to wear that outfit. Yeah, not to wear that outfit, <laughs> for real. But no, but, I, you know, I I, I just, I've it, from 16 to, tw- to 40 now, um, I, I've been over the years hung up on all the mishaps and the this and that's and the other thing and like just enjoy the journey know that it's gonna work out yeah. if, if you know what you're capable of and you know what you have in you don't worry about shit just enjoy the journey and see where it takes you I mean it, regardless of what you worry about you're gonna get where you're going and if you work hard that's yeah, yeah. And, and by the way where you're going may not be where you want to get but that's not the point. The point is to enjoy the journey. Along well, thank the way. God you didn't end up in radio journalism. <laughs> <laughs> but I did end up on a movie called Radio. Yes, you did. <laughs> Opposite Ed Harris, which you reconnected later, yeah. and uh, Cuba Good New Journey. Good, good. You're doing, yeah. You, you we see each other. You also got high at Woody Harrison's house, first and you were I, too high to drive home, and you had to end up. How'd yeah. you know this? Girl. First time I ever got stoned was. I with, am the Hollywood media. First time I ever got stoned was with Woody Harrison. Through, but it was through a vapor pen. Uh, no, no, through a, uh, almost, through one of those vapor boxes. You know, the ones with the, uh, thing. Tomato, tomato, Riley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Riley, where can our viewers and listeners find you, listen to you? Uh, hell. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, uh, 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 well, you can find me on Riley Smith Official on Instagram, I guess, and then I'm on Spotify. So uh, under my name. I yeah, guess. and you and YouTube, by the way, too. All of your yeah, yeah, videos, yeah, your live stuff. performances yeah. are there. So great. Yeah. Thank and you. thank you for joining our crazy crew. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for yeah. Yeah. Rapid fire. Yeah. Who's next? One of them. No, no, no Casey's next. I think we go right to left. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All Casey, right. biggest pet peeve from what? living in L.A. Oh, oh, wait, I, I okay. How long do we have to? <laughs> it's called Rapid Fire, although Riley um, took <laughs> that was hey. its own podcast. <laughs> Riley, when is your podcast coming? By the way, with that voice, I'm like, hey, <laughs> with the wind coming out of the north northwest <laughs> at about 25 miles an hour, you can. <laughs> you and Amy should have a podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I have two pet peeves. One in general is when people enter into the exit door. Read the sign. One says enter, one says exit. That's the biggest. Work this it is out. how polite wow. she is. That's her biggest. <laughs> that's pet my pet peeve. And then my mine was my, like when they borrow three thousand dollars from you and don't return it. Okay, well that's, that's just that's not nice. Peeve. That's just impolite. <laughs> but my second pet peeve is that was in L.A. Like the actual L.A. pet peeve is that the light turns green, they honk that second. 
Like, that makes me want to get out and beat somebody to death. I've been that person. Or when the light turns red and they think they still can't turn. Yes, there's like a three-second rope. Yep. But that's L.A. standard. Like, okay, we know roll. we turn left on, on red. That's okay. But You are so sweet. That that's your happened. biggest pet peeves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Dream Duet also. This is uh, Dream Duet with a singer who has passed. Okay, well, last time I had an answer, and I'm going to change it because, you Good. know, it kind of depends on my mood. I think it would, oh, let's say Otis Redding. That is such a good answer. Perfect. Oh, man. That is such a good answer. A genre of music you feel the most uncomfortable singing in. Oh. This um, was from a fan, by the way. That's interesting. You know, I don't know that I feel uncomfortable singing in any genre because I kind of just sing and it comes out the way it comes. I'd like you to rap, Baby Got No, back. I feel like she'd be great at jazz. <laughs> she would be. Yeah. I do some, some jazzy blues standards. Yeah. I tell you, when we did rehearsal for my cabaret, she was so like we saw we sang sung, uh, "Son of a Preacher Man," and I was by the note, and she was whatever, <laughs> but she was still very like structured and professional. I I, I wonder. I I, th- I don't think there's any music that I wouldn't enjoy singing in because I think it would come out the way it comes out. I think it's fun. Okay. Emo. This is e- okay. Emo. Yes. Uh, I would not like Marilyn to sing Manson. Emo. I would love I would pay <laughs> a lot of money to see. Casey but see if I did Marilyn. a Marilyn Manson song, it wouldn't sound like Marilyn Manson. It would sound like yeah. me doing Marilyn yeah, Manson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh one name would you give your autobiography? Right on track. Ah, <laughs> of that. That's nice. one of the best answers Dazzling. we've ever had. Dazzling. Where would you take <laughs> Dana and Jana for a day out in L.A., and what would you do? And we're talking about the two characters in Terror Is Our Business, the two most interesting characters, by the way, that I would never put into a room that work. <laughs> you know, I would take them, oh, man, I would probably take them to the observatory just because I think that that's a fun thing to do. Then I would take them to the Magic Castle, and then I would take them to dinner in, like, a really fancy restaurant. And then Jana could mess it all up and spill stuff on her, and then Dana could fill in her element. That way, everybody gets something. And Dana could pay. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fine. She can pay because she's paying for attitude. And I love that uh, Jana has, like, she likes food and there's crumbs everywhere. That, that. You know, that character is so me. The Jana character is me. It's funny you say that, 100%. but I've only seen, like, yeah. You do see, do you think I'm proper? Because like we haven't hung out enough. <laughs> like I'm constantly just a disaster. I think you're such a great mix of the two characters. <laughs> when I read the story, I just laughed knowing your voice. Thank you. Where can our listeners, viewers find you? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, website. It's all Casey Lansdale. It's uh, K-A-S-E-Y-L-A-N-S-D-A-L-E. Say hi. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Joe. Mm. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's not deep. It's, it's just fun. Which one of your comic book heroes would you be for a day? Batman. Why? Well, that's a, a follow-up. He has a cool car and he got a lot of money. <laughs> you know, so that that would be it. Hmm. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> if you had the unlimited Hollywood budget, which one of your stories would you make into a movie? Uh, the bottom's the one that I'm trying to make, and yeah. probably because Bill Paxton and I were doing it, and I loved I Bill. Bill Paxton. Yeah, Just and. Uh, that would be it, but I, that's that seems to be happening anyway. So we'll see what. All right, so let's so the big blow. Uh, Ridley Scott has that. They've been trying to make it for years. If they would go, do that finally, I'd be happy. Okay. Uh, what would the name of your autobiography be? Fortunate. Hey. What was your worst subject in high school? This is a fan Math. question, by the way. Math. That's so weird. Us creatives. I'm good at math, but I hate it. Who's good at math here? No, 
I know 10%. You were the hot kid in the back in high school that didn't, that's had to flirt with a math teacher and you'd be fine. Uh, if you could collaborate with one, if you had to collaborate, because we know we don't want to, uh, with one dead author, who would it be? Ernest Hemingway. Because you're called the Ernest Hemingway. Well, they did that. I don't call myself that. I I don't like a lot of Ernest Hemingway's subject matter, but I like the way he writes. I don't care about shooting, you know, animals and bullfights and stuff like that. But man, that son of a bitch could write. You know, he was uh, incredible. If you read the Farewell to Arms, just the opening page, you just think, well, that's it. I'm quitting. Wow. Yeah. You guys, this has been so great. Joe, where can people find you? I have a. Website www.joarlansdale, and I have a fan page, and I'm on Twitter, so you can find. You're very out. active on Twitter, Casey. I know. Active on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> social good. media is the biggest thorn in my side, uh, and I hate social media. I hate. But you're doing so it. good at it. No, I'm, I, I don't like it either. I, I do it because I, I need to. Yeah. And then we look at Riley's Instagram. We're like, mm, okay. <laughs> so you're putting on Instagram. Vanity Fair <laughs> Vogue. Yeah. So, Fernando, you're giving our listeners a little giveaway. Yes. Oh, I get a rapid awesome. fire? What? No, rapid fire's for the guests. You're my co host. Oh, I wasn't guessing. You did too. rapid fire the first time you were on the show. That's right. Uh, yeah, so I have a, a giveaway uh, for people today for the, actually the next three days. Um, so. Uh, I, I have my book published on um, Amazon, and so on Amazon Kindle for uh, today, tomorrow, and Thursday, you can get the book for free. Uh, it's a totally free download. Um, I'm trying to, you know, get exposure and boost uh, reviews, and right now, you know, I have 4.9 out of 5 stars. So clearly, people like it. Um, so if you go to Amazon and go to the Kindle side, just click read for free, and you can uh, get a copy of The After Living. And I started it this morning and I'm at 105 downloads. So that's pretty awesome to, you know, if I can reap like 50% of those as reviews and that would be great to kind of give the incentive to keep on writing. Cause good luck to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we know how many people listen to the show. So I yes, mean, so please go to Amazon. It's a free book. 2%. And yeah. Like, yeah, it's and it's a, such a fun it's read. It's a totally free book. It's a fun read. Uh, if you're uh, a religious person, uh, you'll find a lot of surprises. If you're not a religious person, you'll find surprises. And if you don't know what the hell you believe, you just don't want a fun read, you'll find plenty of surprises there. So, yeah. You guys, another episode of On the Rocks, and this is what I'm talking about. It's such a culmination of fabulous. Anyway, Kurt, thank you so much. Sorry I went a little over. Thank you, Mama Rose. Thank you, Greg. Uh, thank you, Amy, by the way. We'll see you next Tuesday. been On The Rocks with Alexander every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on Universal Broadcasting Network. Find me on Facebook on On The Rocks Radio Show. Tweet me or Instagram me at On The Rocks On Air. See you next Tuesday!